Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hello, listeners. Before we get into this episode, we wanted to say something to raise awareness about a particular current event. Our guest, Ali Nadi, speaks about this at the end of the episode, but we wanted to stick it here at the top as well to make sure as many people hear about it as possible. Right now, in Canada, in Winnipeg, Police are refusing to search for the remains of four Indigenous women who have been murdered by a serial killer. The women are Morgan Harris, Rebecca Contois, Mercedes Myron, and a fourth unidentified woman. This speaks to the pervasive problem in Canada and elsewhere in the world of Indigenous women going missing, being murdered, and officials doing little to nothing about it. So we wanted to raise awareness about this. We've included more information in the show notes, and we encourage you to learn more about this and other issues that affect Indigenous people and communities. All right, on to the episode. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Jamie. Yes. I see you. Caitlin. I see you. <gasps> do you want to mate for life with me? Yeah, where's your tail at? Here your it is. Braid tail. <laughs> there you go. And then we kiss, kiss, kiss under the tree. Oh, iconic moment in cinema, for better or worse. <laughs> People remember it. <laughs> they really do. Hello and welcome to the Bechtel cast. Oh my goodness. Here's one that has been a, a long time request, a long time coming, and an episode we thought we may never release because we were not convinced that the sequels are actually going to come out. And yet, here we are. And here we are, the Avatar episode. How you feeling, Caitlin? I'm nervous. I feel underprepared, even though I did a lot of reading. There's truly so much to go through. <laughs> and there's also like, there's like 15 years worth of 
production, yeah, criticism, waves of different takes on this movie. It's just been it's been a real mm-hmm. journey. It really has, and I'm excited to get into it. We have. I think I think we should just get started. I'm like I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm yeah, ready. We can breeze. Let's just breeze past. Look, the show uh, we analyze movies through oh, an intersectional right. Sorry. lens. Sorry, <laughs> just the like Avatar. Look, but you know, figure it let's out. Let's tell him. Let's tell him. Let's tell him. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I like we, how you're like uh, fuck this show. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna be here for three hours. Buckle in. Um, mm. So we uh, analyze movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechtel test simply as just a baseline jumping off point to initiate a much larger conversation. Uh, What is the Bechtel test, though, Jamie? Well, I can tell you what it is. It is a media metric originally created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test. Uh, She made it for her uh, incredible comic, Dykes to Watch Out For, originally as a joke, but it has now kind of become a common media metric that we use uh, on this show and also in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of different versions of the test, but the one we use is this. To pass the Bechtel test, there must be two characters with names of a marginalized gender talking to each other about something other than a man for more than two lines of dialogue. Mm. Some things do it. A lot of things don't. <laughs> and that's just kind of uh, what it is. How, do, how did I do? Yeah, so well. We're off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> and now is the time to get our guest into the mix oh i'm so pumped returning guest you know her from our episodes on aquaman and frozen 2 she's an anishinaabe writer founder of the ali naughty test formerly known as the ayla test it's ali naughty welcome back i'm back with my braided tails hell yeah i got one for each of you Gorgeous. We're going to embrace each other. Welcome to the Three Timers Club, yes. Naughty. I told them, I was like, I called dibs on Avatar. Nobody else is allowed to do this. I have so much to say. And yes, I did. You saw my Google Doc. I had so <laughs> I, much to say. I've seen 42-page Google Doc. I'm so pumped. We talked about this uh I think two years ago, like the first time you were on the show. Yeah, Frozen 2. Yeah. And the moment is here. Avatar 2 is coming out. It's happening. I thought it would never happen. And it probably shouldn't happen, but we'll see. I I hope it's good. James Cameron's pretty good with sequels, so we'll see. We'll see. That's true. (laughs) Titanic 2 is a classic. I know, the best ever. When he came back. (laughs) (laughs) When she woke up. (laughs) Yeah. She woke up. Yeah. So, Ali, what is your your history relationship with Avatar? Oh, so this is a history. Okay, so it came out in like 2009. I want to say I was probably around like 18, 19-ish. And it came out at an interesting time. This is obviously way before the Ali Nadi test, the Ayla test was ever a discussion the way that it is now mm-hmm. and the film itself was uh, cathartic in a lot of ways for me that I've discovered that it really isn't now mm. but at the time in 2009 I was like I can't believe that there's a movie like this as far as the natives win 
mm-hmm. which I didn't see coming. Everybody else saw it coming. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, we never win. Like, this is going to mm-hmm. be Titanic level sadness because everybody's going to die and it's pain. And that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I did not expect the girl to live. Mm-hmm. Neytiri did not expect that. I didn't expect um, her to like, because in... And I'll talk about this later, but like in a lot of movies, when the native female character falls in love with the white male character Mm -hmm. and he ultimately ends up betraying her, she usually like takes his side like, no, no, I love him and we can work together. And I was hoping that that wouldn't happen. I was afraid it was going to happen. It did not happen. I'm like, oh, what is this movie right (laughs) Uh so then i get online and so many people like hated it just did not like it they're like it's pocahontas in space it's dances with wolves in space it's white guilt it's liberalism it's you know just all of this stuff and i knew something in it was kind of rooted in anti-native racism i just didn't have the words for Mm -hmm. it and obviously like as the years have gone by I found the language to like kind of point out what exactly like these criticisms, which aren't wronged, but also are very Steeped aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So then I almost kind of like the Avatar out of spite in a way, just because I'm like, <laughs> screw you guys. I like this movie. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'll, I'll be honest, after rewatching it and especially rewatching it now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it as much. And I'm like, okay, I know everything that's kind of, I know everything that's wrong with it, mm-hmm. but I still liked it in spite of it. But I'm like, you know, after Rhymes for Young Ghouls and Reservation Dogs and Rutherford Falls and Wendell and Wild and all of these indigenous films usually made by indigenous people, mm-hmm. I'm, I say with full confidence that if native creators were given the same, uh, the same amount of power and opportunity as James Cameron, Mm -hmm. they could do it just as good, if not better Mm -hmm. than Avatar. It'd probably be something you'd never see before. Totally. Right. Yeah. That's what I think. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's like always, where does the money go and who gets the opportunities? Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly that. So that's my very complicated history with Avatar. (laughs) I love it. Jamie, what about you? What's yours? it's a disaster kind of it's all over the place <laughs> like I feel like you've been witness to it in in large part Caitlin mm-hmm. like I saw this movie in high school um along with I think the rest of the world it seems like I saw this movie in 3d I remember like I just wasn't I mean I guess like people don't maybe because this show's been on for so long like I w- was originally your co-host Caitlin because I just like didn't know a lot about movies and didn't mm-hmm. have like a huge passion for them growing up so I saw it because it was like compulsory it felt like and I was like <laughs> I liked it sure that was fun mm-hmm. and then as time went on and Ali you were alluding to this there was like just this, always this shifting discussion around what this movie meant culturally what it meant about you if you liked it versus you didn't like I feel like it's just flip-flopped a million times Mm -hmm. um I think there was a huge chunk of time where they were like avatar like has been forgotten like lost to time and you know like why everyone saw this movie but no one can remember a thing that happens in it which like I was like I I don't remember and then I think sometime around the lockdown 
I took on a a Shrekian appreciation <laughs> of Avatar, <laughs> uh-huh. where it did seem like a lot of people uh, with with like time on their hands like got back into Avatar kind of like spitefully and ironically, where they're like, "Well, I remember what happened in Avatar," and blah. blah and I was, I was kind of like I was kind of doing that for a while because I was you know, lockdown mental illness. I don't really know. Like, mm-hmm. I can't really speak to it. I know it was <laughs> happening. I know I bought a lot of books in 2020 because there was, um, I think actually uh, the video that like got me back into wanting to understand more about the movie because I rewatched the movie. I still like, I don't know. I feel like my opinion on the actual, the movie itself has changed uh, for a lot of the reasons you're describing, Allie. Like, I, I think that a lot of the there's a lot of of course like extremely valid criticism of this movie that we need to talk about and then there's also a lot of like overly simplistic uh comparisons that you're describing that mm-hmm. um i think are interesting to to discuss like but it's it's a, it's very it's a very movie movie i don't know it's like a blockbuster where it just kind of washes over it's you it's a movie and that some... feels like a movie would you say that Jamie? The movie feels like uh, like a movie, is what I would say. Um, a movie with blue cats. And tentacle tails. It's a blue... It's, uh, oh, God. I just, the dude fucks a cat. The end. He fucks a cat. <laughs> the does furries win. James Cameron, like, I, it's really... I, I'm always going to give James Cameron uh, a chance to impress me. And he's such a weird man. Like, I just don't... Like, the things that he really commits himself to are baffling to me. And I'm excited to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I kind of came all the way around because I saw a YouTube video by a, a creator named Sideways. Uh, I love Sideways. Yes. <laughs> right. So I think maybe we talked about I know this. the one you're talking about. Yeah. It's this incredible video uh, that they made about how the avatar score was composed and then kind of uncomposed of like all of this work and resources that James Cameron um, and the production put into like creating a unique very specific Navi culture and then they basically used none of it and they got like overwhelmed and then they're like um let's do a pretty standard James Horner score and that'll basically be Mm. it. So I got more interested in the, like the production side of the movie because there was a lot more thought and intention that went into it than I would have guessed based on what the movie is like. So ultimately I would say the movie feels like a movie. (laughs) Um, And I, I still, I, I mean, I am kind of excited to see the second one. Can't lie. Like I, you know, Sigourney Weaver playing a teenager, I'm intrigued. I don't know. I don't know. But there's a lot of problems. I don't know. Yeah, my relationship with Avatar is fraught. But, you know, so is mine. All right. Well, what's your relationship with Avatar? So so I saw this in theaters, I think, twice. Uh, I was in my early 20s at the time. And I loved it. I was like, this movie rules. I don't know you loved it. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) reveal asterisk at the time sure i was like damn this movie's awesome it's so good james cameron he's done it again and then like some weeks pass and people are like yeah i I mean i guess i liked it but was it that good i'm not sure and i was like well i don't know was it and then more weeks pass and people are like maybe that movie actually kind of sucks and like the same thing that you were talking about ali is about weird yeah and you jamie like and then I was like seeing all these things on the social media of the time, which was Facebook, people being like, 
it's just it's fern gully you know james cameron ripped off fern gully he ripped off disney's pocahontas it's blah 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 and then i also remember a very specific criticism that so many people were like the thing's called unobtainium (laughs) that's so ridiculous and it's like first of all it's i think intentionally on the nose secondly have you seen what some of the elements on the periodic table are called there's an element called einsteinium like they have some ridiculous (laughs) names like also it's like everything about this movie is extremely on the nose like right it's not trying to be subtle so like it's not really james cameron's thing people being like unobtainium that's so like that i don't think is a valid criticism but then i was like oh yeah i guess it is kind of like pulling from stuff and maybe it isn't as good as I thought and I was like young enough that I was like too easily influenced by other people's Mm -hmm. opinions still so I was like yeah never mind this movie's it's not good and then a decade (laughs) passes over a decade passes I don't watch the movie again until three days ago and then I watch it again I'm like no I was right the first time this movie rules but with the caveat that there are read my google doc (laughs) right with the caveat that there are a lot of issues with it which we are about to discuss but from a just like kind of strictly narrative standpoint i'm like james cameron he did it again he can tell a damn cinematic story does it he kind of always does it there's a, a fun james cameron thing that i noticed on this one was because there's just like a lot of good killing the bad guys moments towards the end of this movie mm-hmm. but the most the closest thing to the propeller moment in titanic is when the guy gets crushed between the two oh. steel boxes you're like yeah Ooh, why, why did, <laughs> he's a sicko um, you just hear ah! and, like, <laughs> <laughs> and then that's that, what you get colonizer yeah, <laughs> get my, a lot of good colonizer kills it was pretty exciting so many that's why so many white people did not like it let me tell Mm -hmm. you oh my god because this movie i mean i only lived in one small country in europe you know so Mm -hmm. i can't say that this applies outside of the u.s everywhere but the movie made so much money for a reason and i'm pretty sure it's because the bad guys in avatar are so american coded like you don't see american flags or anything like that but there's no british people and there's no Mm. all the white people have american accents Mm -hmm. except except for sam worthington who's really (laughs) i love he's tried budget of 235 million can't make an australian guy sound american tell you there was one part where he's like your life comes down to one moment and you're like sam Poor Sam. Sam. They should have just made them Australian because yeah. they still have a history of colonialism. Right. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, and I think that's why because the Americans lose in this one. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like uh, the rest of the world kind of has a very, at least my experience in Finland, they have a very Disney princess, cowboys and Indians understanding of Native history mm-hmm. and Native people. As far as Native American, I should say. Even if it's not as blatantly racist over there, there's still elements of it where it's like, oh, but, you know, we're sympathetic, kind of. You know, Mm -hmm. we're way more sympathetic and we'll play the Indian in our games more than the cowboy. Mm -hmm. You know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So to have a movie like this where the cowboys lose Mm -hmm. to the Indians, I can absolutely see. And they send the Americans packing. I mean, of course, the rest of the world loved this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, of course, the white Americans hated it. It made $2.9 billion. Billion. 
billion dollars. <laughs> billion. I always forget and get mad. Again, it's like there's people have accused James Cameron of ripping off a million different stories mm -hmm. in this but there's also just like so much of James Cameron ripping himself off too <laughs> where like that moment at the end it reminded me so much of like when Mr. Ismay survives and you get one shot on like this motherfucker lived and they do the same thing <laughs> with like the bad guy that's not the colonel uh what's his name Giovanni Ribisi yeah yes right. yeah I don't know the uh the character's name I know the actor, Parker so. Parker. Parker. When the colonel gets into the like large robot thing, that's what Ripley does at the end of Aliens. Like, yeah, like <laughs> James Cameron's using his own playbook to do. Oh, that scene is so. I'm like, it's so weird because I'm like, I like. It's a good movie. There, I, I <laughs> forgot. I hadn't seen it in a couple of years, and I think you know whatever. Your brain kind of trains you to expect uh, the worst in mm. every movie especially when you do this show for especially six years when you're the hosts of the Bechtel cast yes <laughs> but i always feel myself clench up where i'm like ugh, he's not gonna let natiri kill the colonel is he he's gonna let he's gonna let jake sully kill the colonel he lets natiri kill the colonel and it's so Yo. exciting and the whole theater cheered and it was awesome the catharsis <sighs> good job movie we're gonna have so much fun <laughs> Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back <laughs> to recap the movie. So we'll be right back. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. All right. Here's the recap. I had to gloss over some details and I even like leave out certain characters just because there's like so much and the movie is almost three hours long. So 
bear with me, but um, here we go. Better not cut out my friend Dr. Max, a.k.a. the guy from Drag Me to Hell. Wait, <laughs> who? Is his name Dr. Max? It's Max Oh, Dr. Something. Max Patel. Oh, yes. yes. Um, Dalip Rowe, who's also in Inception, playing a very similar yeah. character. <laughs> kind of, this is, he was on kind of an unprecedented run in 2009 and 10. Yeah. And then I think James Cameron kidnapped him mm-hmm. and um, he is stuck in Pandora forever. Forever. Yes. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> At least he's living off the royalties for the rest of his life. That's true. <laughs> Truly. He's chilling. Okay. So we meet Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington, and we get his backstory. He is a Marine who became disabled during battle. He's now paralyzed from the waist down. And he has been approached with an opportunity to go to a faraway planet called Pandora and do something. We don't quite know what yet. Because his twin died, which I feel like is very glossed over, that he's actively mourning his brother. His brother died like four minutes ago. Yeah. I know. And then they just cremate him like right in front of him. I'm like, no. And <laughs> he's just like, oh, brutal. damn, dude. And he's like, we need you for science. And he's like, he's okay. Like, we need you to fuck these cats. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, all right, sleep it off. Uh, science in the morning. <laughs> and also no one cares that he just lost his twin brother like Sigourney Weaver is like um okay what are you doing here you loser I need your brother (laughs) so rude (sighs) yeah okay so then Jake arrives on Pandora and he learns about the planet it's dangerous wildlife and it's indigenous population called the Navi who are tall blue-skinned humanoids uh, yeah, your cat like they got cat, they got cat features cat with cat features. Mm-hmm. Jake meets Norm, and the two of them are going to be avatar drivers. So basically, scientists have spliced human and Navi DNA to create these avatars that Jake and Norm and other people will remotely operate by hooking the people up to these avatars via a like Neuralink. Which is why they wanted Jake for this, because he has the same DNA as his brother. They originally built this avatar for his brother, but it'll still work with Jake. And that always messes me up because it's like they do nothing with that. It's like if it's his brother's DNA, I mean, this whole movie is about accessing memory and accessing Mm. like history and stuff. How come they never did anything like that where he enters his uh, brother's avatar and elements from like his blood memory or something like that Mm, is still there mm -hmm. so he can like feel his thoughts or something they never do anything with that that's such a good point i've never thought about Ah. that right because it's like that would fit into the theme of the movie the theme so well and (laughs) right and jake sully is so like underdeveloped but it's not like you don't know anything about him damn Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and Natiri in the deleted scenes mm-hmm. has a sister who died. Mm-hmm. And these guys never bond over that. Like <sighs> you both lost your siblings like recently and that's not something you guys would talk about during your forced fucking romance. <laughs> and you would also think that like I don't know that like Jake might I don't know. Like Jake doesn't feel culpable enough for any of this the entire movie Mm. when it is like so his fault a lot of the like most of the time but it was like also on top of that his brother would be so disappointed in him for like it sounds like his brother was a very like well-liked ethical scientist Mm -hmm. who would be probably devastated to learn that his brother like 
Mick fucked his entire like yeah. yeah fucked it up Jake Jake Sully fucks up on such an unprecedented scale <laughs> truly white boys be like <laughs> uh, they be doing that um, okay so then we meet the head of the Avatar project Grace Augustine played by Sigourney Weaver she like we mentioned is not thrilled with Jake being there because he's not a trained scientist but Jake being there was Parker Selfridge's idea. That's Giovanni Ribisi. Mm-hmm. And then we learn why people have come to Pandora. It's to collect, parentheses, steel, an extremely valuable element slash mineral called unobtainium. Mm-hmm. And Parker's whole thing is that he'll stop at nothing to obtain this unobtainium. <laughs> um, yeah, James Cameron does the classic thing of like, Capitalism is one guy, and the military-industrial complex is also one guy. Another guy. guy. <laughs> it's not subtle storytelling, but uh, you know. But it's also right. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. also correct, which yeah. is the worst part. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, the Navi don't want them to do this. So right now, the humans are trying to find a quote-unquote diplomatic way to colonize the Navi and steal their resources. So then Jake gets neurolinked to his Navi avatar for the first time. He gets acclimated to his new body. And the movie telegraphs to us that it's exciting for him because his in his human body, he's paralyzed from the waist down. But in his Navi body, he can walk and run. And he really takes to his new body very quickly. This is uh, interesting because uh, there is absolutely some ableism yeah for sure in this movie we'll talk about that yeah yeah there's a a really wonderful line though because obviously people with disabilities are not i hate to say not a monolith but that's the only thing that came to mind you know there's Mm -hmm. many different types uh Mm -hmm. and it's different for each person so there was a quote when i was doing my research where a woman who was able-bodied and then couldn't use her legs anymore and is in a wheelchair said that the scene where he goes from his wheelchair into the avatar where he's walking and playing basketball and running it's really touching she's like i had a spinal cord injury in a car accident when i was five years old so it Mm -hmm. gave me chills I'm in a wheelchair for 20 years. I can't even remember what it was like. And he's just stretching his legs out. And it must have felt just so like the ultimate stretch. Mm -hmm. And then other people were like, "Uh, no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is actually quite awful. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole conversation to be had around that. And I saw similarly like mixed responses. Um, And ultimately the actor should have been a disabled actor. Definitely. Exactly. Mm-hmm. A disabled actor, a good actor. You know, there's a lot of... <laughs> Arguably not a white actor, maybe like... <laughs> a lot of choices could have been made differently. I think, yeah, we'll, we'll get into the conversation around yeah. disability a little later. But I I was interested that there was such a kind of diversity of opinion. Because mm-hmm. what was hitting for me, and it's like, I'm able-bodied, like I, I don't have a voice in this conversation really but i but i you know there are constant insults thrown jake sully's way yeah Mm -hmm. they are generally from characters we are not supposed to like uh so it's like i don't know it's 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 an it's an interesting one it's complicated and from characters that we do like because even grace at some time that's true yeah she's saying some ableist slurs at him yeah (laughs) it's like okay grace relax (laughs) what's wrong with you yikes smoking a cigarette in the lab (laughs) 
oh yeah she's like where's my goddamn cigarette what's wrong with this picture See, it's like, that was iconic that was great um, <laughs> you don't need a cigarette you need some pot <laughs> you need but her, her her ableism was uh disappointing and consistent too it like became like a term of endearment it seemed like yeah really gross um yeah so back in his jake body he meets Trudy, that's Michelle Rodriguez. She's a pilot who will bring the avatars into the wilderness so they can do their science uh, and <laughs> colonizing. Um, Jake also reports to Colonel Quaritch. His whole thing is science people are losers, military people are awesome, and I want you to spy on the Navi and find out their weaknesses so I can kill them more easily love this bad guy i know i shouldn't but i love this bad guy uh he is such a ham he's so <laughs> campy it's like... he seems campy and cartoonish but also i feel like there are people like this oh for sure so i'm just like meh. in any other movie he would be the hero mm-hmm. james cameron mm-hmm. just made him the bad guy this time but changed nothing like this would be arnold in the goddamn jungle looking for the predator (laughs) this could be any action hero in the 80s it's the exact same character he's just bad this time Mm -hmm. and it's stephen lang and he's just so fucking perfect and goofy it's it's (laughs) a very good casting stephen lang really seems like he's having the time of his life being the worst (laughs) man ever and I mean, the same with Giovanni Ribisi's character where you're like, he's just fucking despicable and it's so like played up. And then when they're in the same room, you're like, oh, it's the most evil room in the world. And you're right, Caitlin, there are people that are those people that are just like this. Giovanni Ribisi is interesting, though. I feel like his character would have been this one dimensional, you know, sort of comic book character like Stephen Lang. Mm-hmm. But he, um, I think the actor gives it a nuance where he's like conflicted where mm. it's like because you even see it in the movie sometimes where he's like he'll give like a heavy sigh yeah we're, like, we're gonna kill these people and well they're not people they're cats in a tree whatever they can go to another tree mm. but <laughs> we're gonna kill babies you know mm-hmm. so it's like you kind of like see the mental gymnastics he's doing or like the you know the things that he has to do to justify his choices which does make it worse <laughs> like because he like still goes through with it yeah yeah uh not to brag or anything but i saw giovanni ribisi getting ice cream in my neighborhood one time perfect so, wow yeah all i d- did was see taylor lautner screaming at a moon juice it's not fair <laughs> i met scott mcneil at yomacon and he told me i was beautiful <laughs> Oh, hell yeah. Okay, you win. <laughs> I do. That was Piccolo from Dragon Ball Z and all of my 90s heroes. <laughs> hell yeah. Uh, okay, so Jake, Norm, and Grace in their avatars go into the forest. They encounter some big, scary animals. One chases Jake, and he gets separated from the others and lost in the forest. Then he encounters a Navi woman, Neytiri, played by Zoe Saldana, who saves him from the animals who are swarming him, but she's really pissed. She's like, those animals didn't need to die, but because you were careless and flopping around like a baby, I had to kill them. Hmm. And he's like, oopsie, well, how about you teach me to be better at this? And she's like, no, you suck. But then the seeds of the sacred tree float down and surround him as if to say, 
he's special he's the chosen one i know there's so many chosen one shots and then <laughs> i've kind of always forget that it culminates in like and also jake sully can kind of talk to god and she mm. listens to him i was like what <laughs> god answers to jake sully what are you talking about alanis morissette would never <laughs> talk about <laughs> also uh zoe saldana just like 1000 percent just embodies this character oh. like she's the best she's the best actress in the movie mm. i love like just the physical performance mm-hmm. the way she moves the way she uh the way she hisses like a cat <laughs> yes she's so good she, uh, they said that she was a former ballet dancer so she mm. was able to do like all the stunt work and stuff like flawlessly mm. well, yeah because she was in that movie that we covered and it was called oh, right center stage yes was that it? yeah that was like her big debut yeah yeah i forgot that she was yeah she was dance trained uh-huh. man zoe saldana also on a uh, hot streak because she's also in the star trek movie this year and guardians of the galaxy and yeah like she's Mm -hmm. queen of sci-fi she's in a lot of space movies yeah she's she's also in the britney spears classic crossroads crossroads Uh uh-huh yes oh yeah i did not know that (laughs) true story i feel like i feel like zoe saldana would prefer it that way (laughs) (laughs) it's not a very good movie written by shonda rhimes though yeah okay so natiri takes jake to home tree where the navi live uh, we meet her father, Etukan. Bestuti! Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I knew it was him as soon as I saw him. Like, he just has a very distinct looking face. Mm-hmm. Even before I even knew he was in the movie. It's like, as soon as it was like, okay, native coded characters, they need a chief. There he is. Mm-hmm. This beautiful man. <laughs> yep. Yep. So he's the clan leader. And we also meet uh, Neytiri's mother, Moat played by CCH Pounder. Um, she's their like spiritual leader, the Sahik. She's incredible. She is the best looking one. I love her design. Her design is awesome. First of all, that was, so Moat is uh, the only character in the film that passes the Alinati test. Oh, because she never falls in love with a white man. Nope. Mm. And she doesn't die. And, and she doesn't die. All that other good shit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so she... Uh, Usually in stories like this, there is never a chief's wife. Mm. Like, there's usually the chief's daughter, the Indian princess type. But you never see, like, the spouse of the chief. Which is interesting because a lot of native societies, not all, but many are matrilineal. Mm. So the bloodline usually follows the mother. Mm -hmm. So you never really see a character quite like this anyways. But then she just... Oh, her design is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I just love how every aspect of this character, you look at her and it tells a story. I 100% buy that she's the chief's wife, that she's the spiritual leader. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that she's bilingual suggests that she probably tried to be diplomatic and then realized there's no salvaging this. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just such a really interesting. I wish we saw more of her and less of Jake. less of jake on the whole i hope that the second movie really runs with the whole concept of less jake if the trailers tell us anything though Uh, i feel like he's in the movie a lot cch pounder i i didn't 
because I'm like, I don't know anything about linguistics. I'm I'm just a baby. I'm 17 years old. You're Jake uh, Sully flopping around in the forest. I'm, no, that's, that's I'm not that bad. Uh, but but um, in, in that sideways video uh, that sort of unpacks uh, how, you know, this movie invested in building an entire language kind of Elvish style mm-hmm. and like hired a dialect coach to teach each actor um, how to speak Navi and speak it correctly. I guess CCH Pounder is like the MVP of speaking Navi in a way that was like very authentic and convincing. And there's like a whole sequence of like, how she i don't know it's really cool oh cool <laughs> anyways awesome. shout out cch pounder hell yeah shout out okay so most of the navi are hostile toward jake understandably they see him as an outsider Fair. but moat says that jake sully should learn their ways because she's like she interprets the will of awa which is Ewa. their deity so moat's like okay, you can learn our ways, and Neytiri, you're going to be the one to teach him, which she's not thrilled about. Mm. Back in human world, everyone is thrilled that Jake has gotten so close to the Navi. Uh, Grace, for like science and anthropological reasons, <laughs> and Parker, because under the Navi home tree is the, one of the largest obtainium deposits on the whole planet. Um, and so he's giving Jake three months to convince the Navi to move so that they can come and steal the unobtainium. Otherwise, bulldozers will go in and destroy the place. Mm-hmm. So back in Avatar Body, Jake begins to learn the culture and customs of the Navi. Also, they call themselves Omatakaya. So I'll like probably use those words interchangeably from now on. Although they refer to themselves, they never refer to themselves as the Navi. Is that correct? Uh, I think it's part of their language. Yeah. Because there's a scene where she's yelling and I did hear Navi. I wonder if it's like their right. word for like people. Maybe. Or something. Because I mm. think Omatakaya is the name of like their clan. Their clan. But I right. could be wrong. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I think other... Yeah, other like regional clans are referenced later on when they're building their the army, army against yeah. against Mr. Capitalism. Military. Yes, yeah. <laughs> against Mr. Stephen Lang. Against yeah. Stephen Lang. Yeah. Oh, I love when Stephen Lang dies. It's so exciting. Okay. <laughs> so because they refer to themselves as Omatakaya, I'll from this point on use that um, to refer to them so jake learns how to ride this horse-like creature and natiri explains that he needs to form a bond (laughs) called uh sahelu with the creature which is the like so they all the omatakaya people have this long braid and at the end of the braid are these how would you just tentacles yeah tentacles (laughs) more or less noodles like nerve endings these it's very um you're just like james cameron it's so horny uh, he, <laughs> what are you thinking about in that big old house <laughs> hentai that's what he was thinking about <laughs> cat girls and tentacles i'm just saying the man made a leader he so. really <laughs> it's so funny i'm like i wouldn't even say that's him knowing his audience i think that's him broadening his audience mm-hmm. oh no <laughs> so it's like well Fuck the horse with your tentacle braid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how you create this meaningful bond with animals and trees and um, basically any living thing on Pandora. 
There's also this flying animal, the Ikran, but he's not ready to form a Sahelu with one of those yet because this is like advanced stuff. Advanced tentacle sex. <laughs> really advanced tentacle sex. <laughs> he's not ready for advanced hentai. Hentai 201 is... Horses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he is learning the language. He's learning how to hunt. He's learning how to see things from an Omatakaya perspective. He learns about the deity, Ewa. And eventually, Natiri deems him ready to try to form this bond with an Ikran, uh, which he successfully does. Mm-hmm. Also, side note, there is an alpha version of the Ikran, but it's very, very rare for anyone to bond and fly with one. So just put a little pin in that. It's like the Guy Fieri Ikran. The <laughs> it's, like a, it's got flames on the side. <laughs> like a, it's the cool. It's, it's the, the cool, cool one. Guy. He's very big. You can tell because he's got flames. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Oh, hello. Oh, speaking Yay! of cat-like creatures, yeah. Ali's cat just showed up. Heard the call. This is Piku. Oh, Piku. She's like, I too would like to learn about the the cats. <laughs> the fellow dragon fucking cats. <laughs> okay, so Jake and Natiri, they fly together and also they flirt together. Ooh. Uh, Nobody asked for this. <laughs> and yet, I'm kind of rooting for them. There, I said it. You were? That was that was honestly brave to say, because... No one else did. I feel like at every turn, you're just like, Nateria can do... So much better. better. So much Surely, better. Among these right. faceless Navi, the, that, that we know that it's such a large population, like, surely, surely someone's here that um, isn't Jake Sully. But I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the in the real world, we often end up with the Jake Sullys of the world. No one's perfect. Tell me about it. You never think it's going to be you? <laughs> the worst part is, is that the guy she's hooked up with, the one who's going to be the next clan leader, his name's Sute. Mm-hmm. Those two, they're like betrothed, I guess. They, they become a mated pair eventually, but you don't really see them interact much at all. Like, they really don't have much of a relationship. Right, no. Which is unfortunate, because the actor is super hot, and yet they give my man this fucking atrocious hairline, and these (laughs) itty-bitty tiny ears, and these itty-bitty small nipples. (laughs) And it's like... I want to like you, but shit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Laz Alonso is gorgeous. Oh, hot. They did him so dirty. They did him pretty dirty. I don't know. I mean, there's like, I think the element of Jake and Nateri's love story that worked for me, although I was like a little unclear on what the Navi mating practices were, because it was like, yeah, they referenced that you would be betrothed. You didn't have a say in who you married, but then it like... I guess they just didn't really go into it. I'm sure it's in one of my many Navi guidebooks that I have <laughs> back in Los Angeles, but I am not there right now, so I couldn't consult mm. my uh, my small avatar library that I uh, <laughs> manically purchased secondhand. Please don't judge me. Okay. Um, but uh, I think the, the element of the Jake and Nateri love story that worked for me was like her choosing. Like yeah, that was that's, cool. That's what I liked too. Yeah. And even Jake Sully was like, and she must choose me. Like, cause he's Australian. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, she already has kiss, kiss. And he goes, kiss, kiss. You all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the part I liked. Let's have too. tentacle six then. 
<laughs> but yeah, Jake is a romantic partner is um no thanks, pass. Yeah. <laughs> uh okay. So back in human world, Jake is having an identity crisis because he has gotten so immersed in the Omatakaya way of life that he feels that that's his real life and him as a human feels like a dream, basically. They say he's stopped showering. You're like, mm. Jake! <laughs> yeah. Get it together, man. Seriously. <laughs> he is then officially made a member of the Omatakaya. So he is now one of them. Can I just say, this takes place over three months. So I this, know. This motherfucker becomes the best Navi, the best Indian ever. In three months, I don't want to hear anybody complain about Ray from Star Wars ever again. <laughs> ever again. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. God. Where was that energy for Jake Sully? Yeah, I found that hard to believe. Both that he could master a language in three months and like just like master all of the culture and customs. And that the Omatakaya people would so readily accept him at, yeah. in such a short amount of time. I was like, nothing adds up here. No. Disconnected natives, like, obviously not all natives are the same, but so many disconnected natives who um, are displaced because of colonization, residential schools, uh, foster care, or Mm -hmm. just um, growing off the reservation. Like, there is such an anxiety when it comes to reconnecting to your own people that the fact that this dude who has nothing to do with any of these people and has no history with any of these people can just walk right in and be like oh yeah i'm omatakaya mate (laughs) oh there's so many gross moments like especially once he becomes immersed in like omatakaya culture like where he repeatedly is like i need to speak and it's like Jake, you Why? don't. Like, you <laughs> just got here, my man. Like, you really ugh. shouldn't. <laughs> that, I would say, is my biggest beef with this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Jake has really taken up quite a bit of space. For being so the new much. guy. For being a guest. For being a new, <laughs> yeah. like, a new random white guy that is actively <laughs> ruining everyone's life. Like, <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <sighs> Fucking Jake Sully. But he's one of them now, and um, he gets to choose a mate, and he chooses Neytiri, and she's like, I choose you back. And then they kiss and have tentacle sex under a tree. It's kind of hot. It's confusing. You're just like, whoa, you, you do so get sexy? horny. <laughs> James Cameron knows how to make a, a sex scene uh, <sighs> that will, even if you don't like it, it's going to stick with you. It's good. <laughs> You're going to be thinking about it. I remember oh. when I thought that scene was so weird when I saw it for the first time. And then I, a couple years later, I started playing Mass Effect. And the love of my life is this cricket looking dinosaur uh, mm. fucking alien man with a very nice voice. So it's not weird anymore. Really? Yeah, Look, his picture's wow. in there if you want to check through the Google Doc. Like, Gareth Vicarious. <laughs> I, mean, I, do, I do want to check. Wait, what page? <laughs> page 22. Um, it's oh at the very top. Gareth Vicarious is the love of my life. Hot. Oh, you're the best. Oh, my God. Okay, he's kind of hot. I get I it. I love him. I love him. I get it. <laughs> he adores you. It's kind of got a Mr. Darcy vibe to him. Oh, he you're does. You're like, ugh, he's complicated, but I can get through to him. His code name is Archangel. Okay, so Jake and Neytiri are smooching and they fall asleep together. And the next morning, a huge bulldozer comes crashing into the tree where they're at. And Neytiri and Jake have to run away, 
Colonel Quaritch and Parker, the two big bads of the movie, realize that Jake is trying to sabotage their mission and they are pissed. Mm. And they're about to go back in guns blazing and Jake is like, stop, let me talk to them and see if I can negotiate something here. A detail that I didn't really think about that I appreciated on this uh, run was that uh, Grace knew the whole time like she was able to figure out very i feel like a lesser script would have been like and she had no idea because women can't brain (laughs) but i like that she figures out because that is like logical like he is a marine first um so and he's around the two most evil people ever all the time and so she's Mm -hmm. like oh i need to get him out of here because like i need the information he can get me and of course he's going to go with these guys because that is like his kind of his training pedigree or whatever like yeah he hates science and he's not he's he's refused to mourn his brother so he's kind of a loose cannon yeah he forgot all about his brother (laughs) like Mm. yeah never hear about him ever again what was his name even do we ever tommy we do learn his name but tommy sully horrible horrible Yeah. Pouring one out for Tommy Sully tonight. Jeez. That's oh, awful. Just why not Sullivan? Why not Su- why Sully's not so Sullivan? funny? Anyway. Shout out whatever. to your character Sully though from Santa University. I I it's look, he's coming back this year because <laughs> it's year of the Sully. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. All right. So so the bad guys <laughs> are about to go back in guns blazing and Jake's like, let me talk to them. So he goes back in, but Neytiri is like what you knew this would happen i trusted you and you betrayed us favorite scene in the movie yeah favorite scene i talked about this in frozen 2 mm-hmm. but i'll say it again uh this was the point in the movie where i was like okay this can only go one of two ways if it goes one way i hate this movie and it is the worst thing ever made <laughs> if it goes the other way I love this movie. It's the best thing that's ever been made. (laughs) I feel differently now. The stakes are very high. Mm -hmm. But literally, like I said earlier, too, it's all like in movies like this and stories like this, especially with a character like this, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, well, we can reach something peaceful because I love him and he loves me and love saves, love can solve racism and it doesn't. Mm -mm. So what it is, is you knew this was happening and we're going to lose our home. Mm-hmm. People are going to die. And we trusted you. You shouldn't even be here. And we fucking right. trusted you. And Zoe Saldana's emotional just rage in that scene was mm-hmm. so good. And I'm like, good, mm-hmm. you fucking kill his ass. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and she leaves him for dead. Because and what she happens leaves him next? for dead. I love that she leaves him for dead. Perfect. Uh, because they tie Jake and Grace up to a tree, knowing that the bulldozer is like on its way and like missiles are coming. So leaves him for dead. The military shows up to fire at home tree. But then Moa is like, you know what, Jake, if you are one of us, help us. So she sets him free. Conflicted feelings about that. Home tree is destroyed. It's absolutely devastating. I'm crying. And Neytiri's father is killed, among others, in this attack. Someone brought up how, despite how anti-military and anti-imperialist Avatar tries to be, they did kill the only native actor in the movie. Correct. And I'm like, you're not wrong. It's true. Well, that scene was sad, though. I love West Duty and Zoe's Mm. performance. Again, just 
so sad. Because Jake Sully is once again trying to insert himself into one of the most personal moments one can have. And it's, I, I, I think one of the things that has, I don't, I mean, I don't remember how I felt about anything when I was 17, probably incorrectly. It's safe to assume. <laughs> but I, I do think that the, the movie, obviously there's a shitload of stuff going on. It's like we're approaching the climax of the movie, but I wish that they took more time to dwell on that loss because mm-hmm. we lose this amazing character. It is this really, really moving, well-performed moment. And then we kind of don't revisit it and it's Mm -hmm. I mean obviously everyone's in crisis but it's like it would have been nice to see you know like her mother's reaction to see the community's reaction but we get way more airtime to like we have to save Grace which is like sure Grace is a great character but why are we focusing on a white lady we've known for like a couple you know months versus like our leader yeah Yeah. like your parent (laughs) like your parent oh my god I could not like Having lost a parent, I promise I won't cry anymore, but having (laughs) lost a parent, like, there's no forgiving someone if they get your dad killed. You know what I mean? Like, how, Mm -hmm. I get it, like, I get it as we'll, like, find out later with the Turok and everything and the story and, but even so, I mean, two things can exist at once, man, and you killed my dad. You know, I'm not. yeah fuck this <laughs> fuck you <laughs> uh. yeah because i didn't mention this in yet i don't think but jake sully has been feeding information about like the tree the home tree to colonel quaritch so he's like gathering this intel that he's now able to use against the omatakaya people in this attack so yeah, he's evil so then jake finds natiri in the rubble as she's mourning the death of her father she wants nothing to do with him she's like get away never come back then the the military bad guys pull the plug on jake and grace and so they wake up in their human bodies they put them plus norm in a holding cell but Trudy, remember her? <laughs> She's in the movie. She <laughs> she would say a quip about every 40 minutes. And then you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Um, she breaks them out of prison. And they get in Trudy's ship and escape this military base. And they head to the Tree of Souls, which is the Omatakaya's most sacred place um, where they have relocated. And Jake needs to prove his worth to be able to rejoin them. So he forges a bond with the Alpha Ikran, the... The Tarok. Tarok. The, the one that has, like, spinners on the wheels. I just <laughs> kept thinking it was, like, the coolest car ever. <laughs> it's got a spoiler on the back. Yeah. Um, so Jake shows up with the Tarok at the Tree of Souls. I would say he pulls up. He pulls up, yeah. yeah. He kind of Tokyo drifts into the place. <laughs> I mean, if we have Michelle Rodriguez in the movie and everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and everyone reveres him now. And Neytiri is like, maybe you're okay again. Instant forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. And then during the escape earlier, Grace was shot. So the Omatakaya tried to save her by transferring her consciousness permanently to her avatar, her Omatakaya body. But she's too weak and she dies. But she dies at peace. Yes. It's a really good scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very touching. For sure. It's nice. And I also like, again, I just like, I feel like a lot of movies would have not had the courage to kill her off, especially like a big 
but I feel like no one can die in um, franchise movies now because <laughs> not now. But James Cameron is not shy about killing people off. So <laughs> oh get, yeah, you're we're about to see a lot of colonizers get squished. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The Jake gives the biggest dumbest speech, but I oh my god. Oh, it's cringe, but I dig it. Yeah. yeah, it's cringe, but I dig it. And the reason I dig it <laughs> is because <laughs> this is where the Pocahontas and space trope just goes to die. Mm-hmm. Because again, you know, especially with a character like this, a story like this, it's always our love can save the day and peace and understanding. And this is no, we are beyond that. Now mm-hmm. we have to fight. Now they need to fucking leave. And mm-hmm. that never happens in movies like this, where it's like, peace is not an option. We are hell and gone from diplomacy. You have to fucking go. And you mm-hmm. never see this in like movies about indigenous people, let alone movies about indigenous people by non-indigenous people, <laughs> like especially right. rich white dudes in the film industry. So Yeah, because it's them trying to rewrite history to be like, no, we, it was so peaceful when we came here and colonized people and murdered them. Yeah, one of my, one of my grandmas was a princess, yeah, was a Navi. <laughs> Mm-hmm. she plugged her tail into my dad <laughs> did she though did she though <laughs> yeah that that's a very james cameron-y moment and it's also like i don't know like i always struggle with like i i, I totally agree with you ali and i think it's like it is a really unusual subversion in a movie of this scale to to do and then it's also like why jake sully exactly like of all people when he's like this is our land it's like it's our our land not yours say yeah your say this is your land <laughs> yeah. jake you just got here this is mm-hmm. your land <laughs> it would have been cool if he said this is your land i don't know so yeah so jake is rallying the omatakaya to launch an attack against the humans or the sky people as he calls them as if he's not one of them but um colonel quaritch and the humans are planning a preemptive counterattack with their you know more advanced weaponry and their aircrafts and missiles and all of that so jake goes and prays to awa for help the awa scene with is just jake sully is like so embarrassing all the time <laughs> so he goes to awa to pray essentially yeah. and i did think it was kind of funny how that scene ends where natiri comes in and she's like yeah that's like not how this works and jake's Mm -hmm. like oh man well i guess it was worth a try (laughs) and then she's like okay let's go to bed (laughs) that's like the scene but then it ends up working like but then yeah god God is listening to jake sully i think not (laughs) i think not alanis morissette's in the tree like all right okay (laughs) just this once (laughs) <laughs> let's hear this australian guy out <laughs> See so the next morning the humans come to the mountains with you know their heavy firepower but the omatakaya have the hometown advantage and they have jake as turok makto um because he's on the big pterodactyl with flames on the side so he drives the convertible yeah <laughs> so yeah. he's in charge mm-hmm. fine 
and there's a long battle and eventually it seems like all hope is lost for Jake and Natiri and the Omatakaya and Trudy who shows up to help and Norm who's fighting with them. It's and so funny when Norm has a gun. It's, it's, like, it's silly. It's like, why are we letting Norm have a gun? He's not contributing. Come on. I'm going to harm he's not you. A soul- yeah. <laughs> Norm's an indoor kid. <laughs> like, what's he doing here? Yeah. <laughs> So Quaritch is headed toward the Tree of Souls to destroy it. But then the big animals from earlier in the movie come charging in and they drive out the bad guys. Seems as though Ewa has answered Jake's prayer. And so the Omatakaya get the upper hand and there's a final showdown between Quaritch and Jake and Natiri and they defeat Quaritch and Natiri gets like the killing blow. So awesome. Two killing blows. Two I for also forgot on the re-release that she gets she gets him twice. Twice. Like, uh, just love to be it. sure. Oh yeah. It's so satisfying. I love it when the James Horner that da 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 you know plays as she like pulls up and it does oh. ah. It's good. The movie feels like a movie when I'm watching that. <laughs> it's so good. And then the Omatakaya send the humans home, and the movie ends with Jake's consciousness being transferred to his avatar to make him permanently one of the Omatakaya. The end. Wow. So let's take another quick break, and we will come back to discuss. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And And we are back. back. 
Huh. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Allie, where would you like to start? Oh my do God. Do you have a preference? Where do we begin? There is so much. <laughs> there is so much to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. How about we begin with uh, any questions you might have for me? <laughs> I guess. Well, so we already, we touched on a lot of the criticisms Mm -hmm. that I think we're going to have against this movie already during the recap. But yeah, I mean, for me, the big thing is you've got this like white guy who like appropriates the body of an indigenous person, Mm -hmm. comes in, he's flopping around and they're like, no, 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 you're the chosen one though. And it doesn't make sense, but he's the chosen one. He doesn't have imposter syndrome for one single second. No. um, Which I guess is very white guy of him. He he has a very inflated ego about the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, it is, it is like a white savior Mm -hmm. top to bottom. hundred percent. So the question, so my question is what in a, in a a movie with a similar premise Mm -hmm. where, you know, like white capitalist colonizers come in and are trying to colonize and steal the land and steal the resources of indigenous people. What is a version of this story or what changes would you make or do you think could be made to eliminate (laughs) the issues that we see in Avatar? Okay, so I've thought about this a lot because a lot of the issues stem back to Jake, Mm -hmm. like massively for all the reasons that we suggested. I feel like even if if nothing else were to change about the film and it would have been the exact same movie and the exact same stakes and everything, as -hmm. problematic as it was, if someone like Adam Beach or Anthony Mackie or a character of color, specifically a disabled and preferably an indigenous actor Mm -hmm. playing Jake instead, Mm -hmm. I feel like it would have had more gravity. As much as I like Sigourney Weaver's character, Mm -hmm. she's so sympathetic to the Navi that I was like, okay, but scientists, unfortunately, are not that sympathetic to indigenous people. They're the ones that are stealing their remains and putting them in the Smithsonian against people's wishes and stuff, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, or conducting the research to prove that, you know, Sami people aren't human enough or not as advanced enough as like Swedish or Finnish people, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you were going to have that character, like the scientist character, if she were indigenous, if she were played by Tantu Cardinal or even Irene Bedard, all roads go back to Pocahontas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or even uh, like if you wanted someone sassy but smart and, you know, still has that ferocity, even Jennifer Podemsky mm-hmm. would have been perfect in that part, I think. She would have been great, yeah. She would have been great. She's hilarious and she's badass. Because I think that that would have been an interesting subversion. Mm-hmm. Because um, her school in the movie that was another thing and yeah. um, yes connor beard was talking about this on tiktok he was talking about how avatar has many problems he's from the lumbee tribe and he said specifically that the school being used as a positive in the film is kind of tone deaf mm-hmm. if not really offensive because residential schools were so bad to 
Native mm-hmm. children, mm-hmm. and they aren't in this movie. And I feel like that was probably just to bridge the communication error. You know what I mean? Like, or the sure. conflict. Sure. You know, it's like we need we need to be able to talk to these people. They need to be able to blah blah blah. But like, what if it was Tantu Cardinal and she was teaching them Anishinaabe Moan mm-hmm. instead of English, or along mm-hmm. with English? So it's like you know we can communicate a little more privately mm-hmm. and not in a language that would like front you off in front of the real bad guys or something you know because then that would be subversion that would also be kind of decolonizing that sort of right uh premise of the school if, sure. if you were going to have that because if they want to yeah. come in and like actually engage in some kind of diplomacy mm. why is it oh, we have to teach you English so that you can communicate with me versus... And to be fair, Grace, like, does know Navi and, like, the other scientists seem to as well. And I wonder if that was just almost a choice to be like, well, we don't want to have too much of the movie in a language other than English because that... Mr. Hollywood thinks that that tends to put off We only have so many papyrus letters. (laughs) Audiences. So, like, we have to as much as possible have the Navi or have the Omatakaya speak English. So I wonder if like, that's just how they justify, but then, but like to have it be like, (sighs) they set up a school to teach indigenous children English. Like you said, Ali, the historical parallels to that are atrocious. And it doesn't seem like the filmmakers considered the implications of making that choice. That was like something that popped for me this time where it's like the, there's no like, even even with Grace, because I feel like Grace is and the science and you know Norm, Doctor Max, etc. are mm-hmm. are all presented pretty uncritically as good guys. Yeah. But on this rewatch specifically, like with Bechdel goggles on, you're like this actually like the movie should be far more kind of interrogating what it is they're doing because it's like Grace is also appropriating an indigenous body. Like she's doing that mm-hmm. consistently, and the ethics of that are not questioned um by any of the characters in the movie it's like because she's not giving information to the colonel it's made to seem like well so what she's doing is above board but it's like if if she's starting you know the equivalent of a residential school on pandora there's no reciprocity where it's like the navi don't have an opportunity to to you know it all takes place on pandora because that is where the human's interests lie is like mining these natural resources and grace is absolutely complicit Complicit. in that like she knows that to the point where she is able to you know predict that jake is going to leak information to the colonel and she gets him out of there which puts a band-aid on the problem but she's still aware of exactly what's happening and she's you know she has like some quips and she's she you know doesn't seem to agree with it but she she's participating she's a willing participant and that is not really interrogated at all mm-hmm. yeah that's right i agree and uh, my friend aranak uh who's wonderful uh they have a really wonderful uh youtube channel we were talking about this because i was sharing my notes and i was trying not to share my deeper notes just more like oh look this funny thing i said you know (laughs) while i'm doing research but Mm -hmm. uh they said they're like i think this film is so forgettable because it almost does something worthy of note and then went well how can we make a white guy the hero in the weirdest way possible and i'm like yeah Mm -hmm. that's 
the biggest failing of this film is that mm-hmm. Jake is in it. Because <laughs> it feels like Natiri should be the hero. Absolutely. Right. 100%. Like, if you're going to have the school and stuff like that in it, I mean, like, why couldn't it begin with Natiri being a student in the school and then mm-hmm. seeing her sister be murdered, like they say happens in the deleted scenes and stuff, and then becoming disillusioned and disenfranchised with this idea of diplomacy, mm-hmm. you know, because there is no diplomatic way to forcibly relocate people that's genocide right (laughs) like that's Mm -hmm. exactly i love i mean i i love what you're talking about in terms of casting native actors um on the human side of the conflict because that doesn't happen and i feel like that problem scales up to what you were discussing at the beginning of the episode which is like that would be an incredible like i think a, a far more impactful way to tell this story and also probably not a story that James Cameron has any business writing. And so it's, again, it's like a resources thing of like, you know, who is getting the opportunities. James Cameron's using his own playbook to try to tell this story, but he's limited in what he can Mm -hmm. do. I don't know. Yeah. It's very Mm -hmm. outsider's perspective and the way that dances with wolves was, Um, but, but to dances with wolves credit, the native, characters in that movie are fleshed out way more than the Navi are in Mm -hmm. Avatar. Mm -hmm. It's like when I watched Dances with Wolves when I was very young, I really liked the movie because there was kind of a catharsis of, I don't like Kevin Costner and I don't really look like Kevin Costner, but to see someone who kind of looks like me being accepted in a group of people who look like my dad, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. was kind of like really special and especially with the stands with the fist character but even then it's like graham green's character who is a holy man Mm -hmm. in that movie he's hilarious he's wonderful he's dignified he's open to communication but he's also like you know why is this guy rolling around on the ground with like that thing on his shirt and then the other native character whose name i forgot but he's very much like this dude's fucking crazy let's leave you know and Mm -hmm. i'm not afraid of you you know like Mm -hmm. the time spent in the village with those characters are more sympathetic and interesting you really don't get that in avatar no matter how sympathetic or understanding they're trying to be Mm -hmm. because like does natiri have brothers and sisters does she have friends does she have aunties like you just nothing no so little to the point where like her parents are important characters Mm -hmm. but i only mentioned each of them like twice in the recap and i so like they're just they're not that they're pretty secondary honestly to the Mm -hmm. story and it's really only natiri uh who we get any real insight into and and despite zoe saldana's incredible performance we still don't get that much about her backstory about her life we know a little bit about what is in store for her future um she's gonna take over the role as like spiritual leader for her mother but like we don't know that much and then yeah speaking of <laughs> speaking of indigenous actors uh playing characters so the actors who play the omatakaya characters 
Mm. Um, of the ones who get speaking roles, they're mostly black actors, except mm. with one exception of Wes Studi, who plays Neytiri's father, mm. Eta Khan. He is uh, an actor of the Cherokee Nation. But it seems to me, and correct me if I'm misinterpreting this, but it feels like a lot of the imagery and iconography they're pulling from as far as just like cultural things, historical things about the Omatakaya seem to be pulled from indigenous people of Northern America. Mm-hmm. So it feels weird to not cast more Native Americans mm-hmm. in those roles. And if they're playing a, a character that's not even human, right? you know, like right. if it's going to be indigenous coded, then there's so many indigenous people that you could reach out to. You could cast Sami actors. You could cast Maori actors or Hawaiian. Right. It could be the whole spectrum of indigenous yeah. people. Right. But it would be nice to see them as humans too. Yeah, okay. Know, like, well, that's the thing is like yeah. on top of that, it's like how often like people of color in general, but you know, specifically indigenous Americans are and indigenous people in general are like othered in I mean, this is like a pretty aggressive othering of, I, I don't know. Yeah, we're curious. In science fiction. Yeah, yes, exactly. Especially since colonizers use language and rhetoric against indigenous people to justify killing them and stealing yeah. from them. And one of the ways they do that is to reduce them or liken them to animals. animals. <laughs> and so to make the Omatakaya have animal Animals. features <laughs> tentacle porn cats uh, misses the mark just a bit the other thing oh, okay so even back then the thing that makes me just cringe the most it's like you you've got cat people i know they're native coded mm-hmm. why are they leeing i mean i know there's an actual word for it i just forgot what it is but it's here i'm gonna move away from my mic it's <laughs> oh yes. you know what i mean yes. like why why are they doing that? <laughs> they're cats. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, they're cats. <laughs> they should be saying, meow, meow, meow. <laughs> even the, <laughs> even that thing that they do that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, the hiss. Like, it's, yeah, I, I saw a lot of criticisms around the battle cries that seemed kind of like randomly and offensively uh, selected for the Amerikaya and yeah haven't seen an effective argument against it like it just seems mm-hmm. like that was a straight up offensive uh, lazy shitty choice uh, it just made me I was like oh <laughs> you know, first time I saw it too every time I see it I'm like oh why are you doing that that's so strange there's a whole montage where it's like just that over and over and over and over. Yeah. In in and then the context of that scene is that Jake Sully is randomly the general now. Like that was uh, a mess. He just shows up on his large pterodactyl and he's like, "I'm the captain now." We're left to think that like there is some collaboration going on between Jake and Sute, but it seems like at the end of the day, Jake is in charge because Jake like walkie talkies to Neytiri at the peak of of the action and says that's an order I was like dude you don't you're not stop you're not in charge you just got here you can't make an order (laughs) and I mean speaking of cat-like features of the Omatakaya people there's I think a whole conversation around their character design I mean there's like a lot of things to unpack as far as 
like lack of body diversity, costume design, skin color, just like everything that encompasses the character design of the Navi or the Omatakaya. So yeah, friend of the show, I just want to quickly shout friend of the show, Janish Meeting has pointed this out for years, the lack of body diversity in Avatar characters. And is also um, because she's the funniest person ever, like turned it into a bit um, where she's like, I'm going to get cast as a Navi and the game's going to change. But like she's, she uh, was the first person I heard talking about that because there are, I think so many like problematic elements to the way the Navi are designed that that sort of gets overlooked a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, um, elders play such an important role in indigenous communities. So the fact that we don't really see like an elderly Navi character, you know, mm. other than Neytiri's parents, or, you know, like not everyone in a society like this is a warrior, you know? So mm-hmm. what do they look like when they're not in like peak shape all the time? Mm-hmm. And what about right. the warriors who... um you know, get hurt or get injured or are disabled or something. Mm-hmm. What if there's a bad hunt and the dinosaur thing bites your arm off? I mean, are you right? We don't see any of that. And it would have been interesting to see Jake like interact with some of those veterans, you know, actually. Right. right. <laughs> so many like overlaps between Jake and Navi culture that just, just goes completely unexplored by this, um, <laughs> by this movie. Right. Yeah, and then, yeah, as far as, like, just the the body type, every single Navi person has the same exact body type, so... They all have frog butts. They have frog frog butts. (laughs) There is not a booty to be found. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that that, like, I kind of wonder, I've watched a lot of behind-the-scenes featurettes on this movie in the past, and I, like, I know that it's kind of tricky, because in some ways, I want to say that they're almost animated characters. I know that it's motion capture. So it's like, it's either animation tropes we've talked about before, where it's like very rigid two body types available, which I think does kind of carry through this movie, mm-hmm. or it's a casting issue, and they only cast two body types. So either way, it's, you know, a fucking wash, and, you know, like, it just, I don't know, it, it doesn't just, like, reinforce... Um, rigid stereotypes we see all the time it also like lessens the richness of of pandora because you're just like completely alley like mm-hmm. what what are other people up to like it can't they, they they appear to be thriving you would think there are other things and elements of of this culture that just are like not referenced or explored at all mm-hmm. and don't cats always have like that you know belly fat that like flops <laughs> when they run it's so iconic <laughs> For real, though. And they famously have eight nipples. Exactly. Uh, and so why don't the Omatakaya have eight nipples? They just have tentacles. Eight nipples on the nipple scales. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then as far as... And this is something I think we've touched on in different episodes in the past. But there's a pretty... Um, a precedent has been set somewhere along the line that in sci-fi and, and fantasy, uh, especially because these are the genres where you would usually have like non-human, human-like characters. Mm-hmm. So in this case, the Navi, the Omatakaya have blue skin. And this is something we see a lot where, um, you know, like humanoid characters who are coded as 
indigenous, they're coded as people of color in general, they will have blue skin, green skin, purple skin, some skin color that does not exist on humans. And um, just like kind of further others, these characters who are coded as people of color. And I noticed that this is something that happens a lot in sci-fi where even if uh, they cast like an actress of color, they usually cast her as an alien. Like even Mm -hmm. um, Star Trek, which is pretty diverse anyways, and I'm referring to like the J.J. Abrams movies because I am Mm -hmm. not a Trekkie. (laughs) How (laughs) dare you? (laughs) Also starring Zoe Saldana. But this time she gets to actually have her actual skin color. Her natural skin color. (laughs) But uh, Sophia Botella, I think is how you say her name, and Mm -hmm. the third movie is an alien with white skin <laughs> but mm. she looks awesome and she's great but you know like it's not her also but zoe saldana in like guardians of the galaxy yes mm-hmm. has green skin and uh i love costume and makeup designs and stuff like that especially when you're making monsters like doug jones is a fucking g and oh, i mean the best i love hellboy and everything yeah. but it is a a trope I've noticed like a lot. Yeah. Like even in Star Wars, it's like you get Lupita Nyong'o and you make her that ugly little alien. Oh like, my why? god. Ugh. What are you doing? I will never get over that. I just like you did what with that casting uh, decision? You did nothing. Nothing with that casting decision. <laughs> the most beautiful talented mm. person and you did what? There oh, I was <laughs> Yeah, I don't even give a shit about Star Wars particularly, but I was enraged by that. <laughs> I would also be curious to hear what, what listeners think on that issue, because I don't know, I've, I've seen that point made about Zoe Saldana's career quite a bit of like her two biggest or, you know, I guess best remembered roles, although there are those crossheads people out there. Or those crossroads. Crossroads. Crossheads? Crossheads. <laughs> Hello? Um Okay, two sips of Miller Lite, and I'm I'm <laughs> cooked. Um, but yeah, I, I like I, I think that that is like absolutely no accident, and I wish that sci-fi were at a place where like you know sci-fi can be like a really amazing place to explore like more diverse worlds if you have diverse voices that are also behind the camera, which is not really happening in Avatar. And it shows. And I think the uh, you always run the, the risk of racial stereotyping anytime you code mm-hmm. non-human species as an existing group of actual people. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Frozen 2 and even Avatar The Last Airbender do this better, where it's like, yes, they're mm-hmm. coded as Inuit, or they're coded as Sami, but they're not, you know, they're water tribe, mm-hmm. they're Nothaldra, you know, so, mm-hmm. but they're people, you know, they're like actual human characters, right. even if the tribe or the race is, is not, <laughs> you know, right. I hope I said that correctly. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Yeah. It, and this wouldn't be as much of a concern if in these genres you had white actors also playing like you know blue-skinned aliens like it wouldn't be and that and that there was no specific like racial coding attached to any 
any of the characters. It's just like, this is just a person, like a Doug person Jones. with purple skin. <laughs> right. Doug Jones. Doug Jones? <laughs> right. Folks, he's a sexy fish. They're... Sexy fish. <laughs> the sexy, sexy fish. <laughs> but, but because the trend tends to be that only... BIPOC actors are cast in these roles where their skin is a is you know some color of the rainbow and their character is coded as like an othered race it's also because it's generally by like white writers and directors that are making that decision like that is a huge element of I don't know like it does like the way James Cameron is doing it seems like a tropey overwrought like lazy kind of pretty offensive like storytelling trope like it's not he's not Mm -hmm. doing anything new here yeah it would have more gravity if it was by a a writer who was indigenous or otherwise marginalized yeah i think and then as far as the costume design goes um i'm curious about your thoughts on this ali but the the navi across the gender spectrum of the navi they're all like pretty scantily clad as far as their costume goes Mm -hmm. yes the two body types are scantily clad yeah you can see all of their blue skin basically and there is definitely another media trend where indigenous women we see this time and time again are hyper hyper sexualized in media i i don't know exactly if that's what's happening here i'm just so i'm just yeah curious to your thoughts so um this is kind of Okay, so if you talk to one Indigenous person, you've only talked to one Indigenous person. So this is just mm-hmm. me personally. Um, sure. Connor Beard on TikTok, who's from the Lumbee tribe, I think I mentioned him earlier. He's doing uh, a series of TikTok videos about Avatar and uh, racism in it and tropes in it that are anti-Indigenous. And I can co-sign on most of them. I think he makes really good points. But he released, and I say this respectfully, um, he released a recent TikTok talking about how Avatar uh, fetishizes and sexualizes Native women. And I get it, but I don't agree entirely Mm -hmm. because um, I personally have a rule where if male and female characters are wearing the same costume the costume itself isn't inherently sexualized. Um, Like Black Widow and Captain America are basically wearing the same unitard. Mm. It's just Black Widow is filmed differently. Right. You know, so, so it's not really the costume. That's the problem. Um, Like someone, I forgot who it was. I think it was a pop culture detective was talking about how Korra in Tron Legacy is sexualized. And I, did not agree with that either i'm like Mm. she's wearing the same thing everybody else is wearing and she's never really objectified by the camera so because there's a difference between like a character just being really sexy on screen and the filmmakers and the filmmaking actively sexualizing that character Mm -hmm. i watched that same tiktok um from Mm -hmm. connor beard and he points out that in the screenplay yes. for Avatar, so this makes me kind of oh, think that no. James Cameron is actively sexualizing, especially Neytiri. Oh, no, I hate reading. I hate reading James Cameron's writing. It's so stressful. 
do you remember that thing it's, from Titanic where she falls under his welcome, welcome weight? weight? I will never stop thinking about the phrase <laughs> welcome weight written by a 50-year-old man. I just can't oh. even. Okay, what did you say? What did okay. you say? So the, oh. these are, <laughs> no, I hate it. At least it translates well to screen. <laughs> yes. Uh. But he's like, I don't even think it's like an unpopular opinion to say that James Cameron is like a pretty bad writer. He's just got he's got a lot of chops where he's got a lot of chops and then he also writes the movies. He, and then he writes what we're about welcome to wait. hear. Welcome wait. Welcome wait. Okay, sorry. I sorry. So, this is for Nateri's character introduction, which in a mm. screenplay generally has a little bit more detail um about like the character visually, like what sure. the character looks like. So, quote Jake passes under a tree limb. Invisible to him, draped on the limb like a leopard, is a striking Navi girl. She watches, only her eyes moving. She is lithe as a cat, with a long neck, muscular shoulders, and nubile breasts. And she is devastatingly beautiful for a girl with a tail. Oh my god. Jim? So do they ever mention the size of jake's dick as he's going into his avatar body because if he's not that's definitely that's telling exactly (laughs) yeah where's the reciprocity jim's going to horny jail again there's one more sentence that is upsetting in human age she would be 18 no so she is young 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 jake sully is what in his 30s mid to late 30s probably he could be a strong cw 31 you know (laughs) dad so that is creepy it is creepy i so like i i because i I think that that is a really good rule of thumb that you're describing ali of like Mm. if there is because it's also like you know like james cameron writes creepy we've discussed it on the show before it it seems particularly (laughs) pointed in this in this example because he's you Mm -hmm. know like writing about an indigenous woman who's 18 like yeah oh man there was like a lot of mm, i'm glad that there's like a diversity of opinion on this because i do think that like the movie does not objectify natiri the way that that couple sentence run would imply that it would based on how creepy mm-hmm. he's being yeah. i didn't feel that <laughs> creepiness in the camera or in the film language i think that that is like in spite of the fact that he's like a creepy writer he is not a creepy filmmaker which is you know an oversimplification i'm sure he's had his creepy moments but and he's made like r-rated movies too so if he really wanted to be creepy he could have really been creepy in his other he films let so it the fact that this is PG. but but <laughs> yeah. then on the other hand it's i I mean, I know that we sort of have spent a lot of this episode unraveling, like, the way that, like, comparing Avatar to Disney's Pocahontas is a vast oversimplification. But because it's, like, the the Na'vi characters are, like, somewhat animated or, like, I don't know how to describe motion capture, really. But She looks more like a cat than a person. Yeah. So it's not mm-hmm. – it doesn't – I feel like – Pocahontas, like Disney's Pocahontas, even Shell or Chell from um, the Road to El Dorado. I think that's yes. way more offensive than Neytiri. For sure. Because I would say that that is hypersexualized and objectified more than Neytiri. Because I also don't think that nudity is inherently sexual either. And right. uh, 
the really the only time Neytiri is ever like sexy on screen is when she's having sex, which you know, fair. There's that a time tracks. to do Same. it. So. <laughs> Same, hopefully. <laughs> kind of the the best time to be sexy is during sex. Wow. Yeah, kind of weird if you're not. <laughs> And even during the weird tentacle sex thing, I mean, it's more romantic than mm-hmm. sexy. Um, I, I guess <laughs> so much wrong. It's hard to. Uh, <laughs> yes, but like um, a worse example of this would be in Terrence Malick's film *The New World*, where Corianka uh, Kilcher, who is 14 years old, is way more sexualized no. with her two grown male counter. Co- Counterstars, co-stars, co-stars. Yeah. That's the word, not counterstars. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, fourteen-year-old Corianka Kilcher oh, with that's Christian Bale and Colin Farrell, inexcusable, playing Pocahontas. I still have not been able to bring myself to watch that one because everything I hear about it is just disgusting mm-hmm. she's beautiful and she's wonderful but mm. oh my god baby girl i'm sorry i'm so sorry yeah. <laughs> ugly ass bitch like terrence Malick would even do that to you <laughs> evil evil <laughs> fucking mm. evil yes uh one last thing i'm and then then i promise i'll stop dragging connor but um <laughs> there was one more uh line that he says in that tiktok mm-hmm. where so it's a line where uh Neytiri, tells him, you know, you're Omatakaya now and you can make your bow from home tree mm-hmm. and you can choose a woman. And he, you know, Jake's like, I already chose, but this woman must choose me. Mm-hmm. And Connor Beard makes the argument that Jake is the one being progressive and Neytiri's the one being primitive. And I think that this is where context matters because mm. the Navi with all of their problems are very egalitarian. And I don't think the women are just like, oh, you only exist to be chosen by these dudes, mm-hmm. you know, because then why would there be women warriors? Right. And I think it's also because Neytiri's engaged. So he's like, hey, do you want to come with me? Or, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I know who I've chosen, but do you choose me and i don't know it's like i didn't think that was uh yeah i don't know (laughs) i hear you on that like i mean and and i think that like the the best i mean you said it yourself like the fact that she is engaged is not really harped on by the movie which i appreciated because that's like a really annoying trope to like get in the mire of but it's like Mm. it makes sense that it would be sort of like tacitly brought up in that conversation because yeah. it would be weird if Jake didn't try to tacitly acknowledge like that. It's sort of him the way that Jack Dawson is like, do you love him? Yes. It's just a simple question. Do you love the guy or not? And Rose is like, this is not a suitable conversation. <laughs> but th- but Jack was being, You're being very uh, rude. Jack was being a little devil in that conversation because he was being aggro and not to hand it to Jake Sully. Well, I don't do it and I hate to do it. But but you know Jake doesn't get aggro about it. It's like a it's a conversation. Sure. It's not like cornering you in the gym of the Titanic. Anyways. I'm just merely pointing out that James Cameron keeps writing more or less the same scene over and he over. Loves, <laughs> he loves this one movie that he writes. And <laughs> um, My last question is as it relates to the character design of the Omatakaya is, 
I wasn't sure if James Cameron was referencing any specific indigenous culture or cultures or nations with the Omatakaya, or is he just sort of like treating indigenous people as a monolith and like just kind of making several aesthetic references and kind of lumping them all together and like I don't know I what's your thought on that a bit of column a and column b like it feels very outsider's perspective Mm. because it is (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, when i first saw the movie um it felt like i don't know if you've ever seen apocalypto but it kind of reminded me of that where it was i assumed since they're in a rainforest and the navi don't wear a lot of clothing that it was probably inspired by a South American or Mesoamerican indigenous culture. Mm-hmm. I haven't found anything that suggested that. What I have found was um, a lot of inspiration is from Maori people from New Zealand. Yeah, mm-hmm. And even in uh, the trailers for The Way of Water, I noticed that a lot of the facial tattoos on some of the new Navi characters looked very much like the same ones from Polynesian cultures. Yeah, mm-hmm. from what I've heard of and, and read a little bit about the second movie, it seems like Cameron takes that direction a little more decisively in the second movie. Mm-hmm how effective it is or how respectful it is i don't know but that Mm. i was i was uh going through like old featurettes trying to see if there was because there's so much written about certain elements of production but that was not something i was able to really find and i know that there is this tendency um we were talking about this with olivia woodward a while ago um about Mm -hmm. just like this tendency to take so many like unique indigenous cultures and just like lump them all into one vague Mm -hmm. you know kind of tropey interpretation which Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's really what i mean i i just kind of struggled to find information on what he was doing right well when i first saw the movie 2009 in the theater there were several scenes five like major events in the film that i think mirror actual historical events in like a broader native american history so obviously invading pandora is any it could be columbus it could be the british it could be the french it could be leif erickson you know Mm -hmm. like any Mm -hmm invasion colonialism you know that's happening Mm -hmm. um obviously there are elements that are probably inspired by pocahontas and jamestown and the powhatan nation interacting with the settlers especially since john smith when he was kidnapped was accepted into the tribe as kind of like a um an honorary member Mm -hmm. to like you know build diplomacy the image of pocahontas like resting her head on him and saving him is kind of more of like an initiation kind of like she's his godmother mm-hmm. to, to compare it to anything okay. uh, don't quote me on that 100 percent since i'm not from those tribes but Wait, that's my yeah. understanding of it any big massacre scene but you know a home tree getting destroyed felt like it could have been Wounded Knee, it could have been Sand Creek, it could have been any mm-hmm. attack, any massacre, really. And then you have the Trail of Tears afterwards, where forcibly relocating mm-hmm. indigenous people, 
um, any death march, any long walks, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I was, and again, it was like, it was just hard to find any like hard confirmation, but I kind of assumed that that was what Cameron was trying to reference, even in the way that Giovanni Ribisi's character was talking about it. Like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's like a relocation. It's not like, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this is kind of clearly mapped on. Yeah peacefully negotiate their right. relocation. It's like there's no peaceful negotiation yeah. to forcibly relocating. But the last one, which surprised me, and I'm happy that it ended like this, was I feel like the final battle in Avatar, mm-hmm. like the big climatic awesome battle, mm-hmm. felt like it was a big allegory to the Battle of Little Bighorn or the Battle of Greasy Grass where the Lakota Sioux and the Cheyenne uh, won a battle against uh, General Custer and the U.S. Army. Mm-hmm. And um, they did that because Custer thought that he was going to ambush them and murder all of them. And no, there's 5,000 of us and you're dying today. And the person who shot him off of his horse was a woman. Mm, fuck By yeah. the way, <laughs> Buffalo calf road woman so natiri natiri style i'm just saying oh that rocks (laughs) exactly Mm -hmm. so that pleases me (laughs) i didn't really that's that's amazing yep she's the one who shot him off of his horse and probably delivered the killing blow and afterwards the other women took like little needles or whatever and poked out his eardrums and that's where the phrase uh that's where the phrase uh see what happens where you don't listen comes from Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. so it sounds to me like james cameron is pulling not only from like a design point of view of the of the elmatakaya but also from just like narrative events in the movie avatar he's pulling from a lot of different nations so I mean, allegory in storytelling is like, you know, that tends to happen where like you're you might be kind of referencing something. It's an allegorical. Probably be weirder if you didn't pull from actual history. Like it's not inherently negative that he did that. Right. It's just the the, the mess. It's just that. And it's the outsider's perspective yeah. that I think is really. Yeah. And uh, well, I mean. Indigenous people globally have a lot of uh, shared experiences with colonialism and racism and environmental oppression Mm -hmm. and damage also. So I can see how kind of blending it together because it all kind of flows together makes sense. I feel like it probably could have been done a little more ethically. Right. And the Mm -hmm. way to do that would be to hire native writers mm-hmm. <laughs> to write about the allegory mm-hmm. um what else another thing i would change is that a uh, fangirl jean I, I hope i'm pronouncing her name right i think it's pronounced jean but i think it's also pronounced jean mm-hmm. j-e-a-n-n-e fangirl jean <laughs> mm-hmm. oh my please don't kill me <laughs> fangirl jean anyway she uh was talking about how she kind of likes and dislikes Avatar in the same way as I do. But mm-hmm. she's like, Jake should not have been allowed to stay, period. Mm-mm. If he was going to. And I feel like that would have lended itself to the story a little bit better and the sincerity of the character where they're like, listen, we appreciate your help, but you put us in the situation. So at the end of all things, 
you can't sit with us <laughs> anymore. Yeah. So right. if it would have, at the very least, it should have. And he should be okay with that. If he's as good as he thinks he is, then that would have been like, that's fair. Okay. Mm-hmm. You don't get to stay with us. Yeah, I fucked up. Uh, I'll see myself out. Yeah. 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 Though I will say. Go to your brother's funeral, Jake. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. I will say, um, <laughs> this is my hot take. Ooh. Is that. Let's hear it. I think. Not that his story is good, not that his redemption arc is good, but all things considered, Jake's redemption arc is more satisfying or better than a redemption arc for like Kylo Ren, for example, Mm. because at the end of the day, even though Kylo Ren or even Darth Vader turn from the dark side and do the right thing at the last moment, they die right after and they don't undo all the damage that they did they may have stopped or prevented more damage which good mm-hmm. but they never face the people that they hurt they never like face any repercussions or consequences for the harm that they've caused so jake even though it's not great <laughs> he still has to prove himself if he's going to show his face again and when he does the right thing eventually it's like his friends die, people get hurt, mm-hmm. he can never go back to his planet again, he can never, you know, so there's a whole lot at stake that, you know, a lot of sacrifices that was made for him to do the right thing. He does have to do a lot to, to actually have a redemption, but then uh, but it's just... that he, like, centers himself so consistently yeah. throughout it that, that... he's always yeah. like, I'm the boss now. And you're, he's like, <laughs> or, like, yeah, that it's, I mean, which is maybe, like, realistic, super macho white male behavior. But, like, yeah, the fact that he's like, okay, I, like, I, I totally agree. It's good that he recognizes that he can't just, like, something has to be done to try to mitigate this tragedy that is in a huge part, his fault. Mm-hmm. But his solution is like, I have to be the leader. Captain of... I have to. Like, and, then, and then he's rewarded by being like, okay, you're def- you're one of us again, and you're permanently one of us, and we're going to do this like spiritual ceremony to make you He should at least be back on a trial basis, at very <laughs> least. Yeah, like, for real. It's like you're answering for crimes against Ometakaya. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another question I have for you, Allie. Um, throughout the movie, there's a lot of emphasis on the Omatakaya's connection to the earth and this like spiritual connection to the wildlife, the flora and the fauna, and obviously pulling from you know indigenous culture and the connection that indigenous people have with the earth. But the movie introduces this like kind of sci-fi fantasy element to that mm-hmm. with like the tentacle tangling the neural and, network and then yeah and and yeah. i'm just curious about your thoughts about that and what implications you think that has good or bad or neutral uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> this is why natives need to make stuff yeah exactly. <laughs> yes. give natives the same budget and we will make something better than avatar i promise <laughs> i promise <laughs> um because i mean 
to James Cameron's credit, uh, mm-hmm. he's been an environmentalist activist since like high school. Mm-hmm. So there are good intentions there. Mm-hmm. He um, said in an interview very recently, I think it was like James Cameron breaks down his most iconic roles or something like that. Yeah, watch that. Yeah. Yeah. He um, was talking about like, as he was making Avatar, he's like indigenous people were reaching out and saying, you know, a lot of the stuff that's happening in your movie is happening in real life in our communities. So there mm. were things like, um, and even Sophia Yanok, who's a Sami activist, um, mm. when she gave her TED talk about mining companies in Lapland mm-hmm. in Sami territories and the damage that it done, she said that Avatar felt like that, like she definitely resonated with the damage that's done mm-hmm. to these, um, ecosystems and these sacred territories and everything and how avatar has a happy ending but in real life we're still fighting in lapland and the same can be said in like brazil and standing rock wesuoten Mm -hmm. and all these other places Mm -hmm. and when you think of um like just the spiritual aspect in pandora i mean it's a movie so they kind of have to ham it up Mm -hmm. but I mean, people are not, like, usually in indigenous cultures or the way that we believe in these things. uh, People are not at the top of the pyramid and then everything is beneath us. Indigenous people tend to be stewards of the land who believe that we are actually part of an ecosystem. And as much as we need the land, the land also needs us to take care of it. Mm -hmm. And the land is very much as alive and as sentient as people and as animals. So I see what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just kind of <laughs> okay. out of his element because he's not part of the, the community. Right. Right. You know, so there's like a, something lost in translation, I guess there's a disconnect because mm-hmm. it's still very outsider's perspective. Right. And it's a, good idea i mean i do like the idea of you know like you can plug your tail into the willow tree and hear your ancestors singing and stuff like that's beautiful Mm -hmm. but not when they're aliens (laughs) right uh... right it's to me it reads as like um an outsider's perspective looking at indigenous spirituality and being like it's so mystical it's so magical it's almost science fiction and then like so as to be alien (laughs) and then just like leaning into that and then putting it in a movie yeah yeah and in a way that kind of dehumanizes indigenous people that you're trying to Mm. be sympathetic towards anyways Mm -hmm. in the uh deleted scenes there's a really awesome deleted scene where Jake, before he becomes one of the people, undergoes a um, a vision quest, I guess. I don't know if you've seen that. Mm-mm. I have not seen that scene, no. Yeah, it's um, it's an incomplete deleted scene. They oh, okay. must have ran out of money because <laughs> the CG isn't there. Okay. But it's where he, like... Um, it's when he tells Quaritch or Stephen Lang, you know, I have one more thing I have to do and then I'll be one of them and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to Neytiri putting the war paint on him. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into like this chamber and Moat is like 
lighting the incense and the herbs and stuff and like this beetle or whatever like he eats a worm and then this beetle like stings him on the back of his neck or whatever mm. and he has a vision quest and okay. when he survives it they're like oh well you're alive so let's all hug and touch each other mm-hmm. huh. But there's a scene where he's talking to Grace before he does that because she's like, dude, you cannot do this because actual Navi have died doing this. And we have no idea what an avatar is going to do, Mm -hmm. but it's Jake and he has plot armor, so he'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, but uh... he's the chosen one. He can't die. Yeah, he's God. He should. A, he should have died in the first second when he goes in as an avatar. When those like <laughs> rhinoceros-like animals are like plowing him over, like yeah, he should have been done for. So bad. I found I found it so frustrating how uh, like anytime Nateri was about to bail on him, which was constantly because he sucks. <laughs> like there's a sign from the the uh, from Pandora from Ewa that. Jake's a really cool guy. You're like, oh my god, is he though? In what way? But anyway, so the the thing is, he tells Grace what he's doing. Then he goes, they don't even have a word for lie. They had to learn it from us. I'm like, dude, (laughs) what? Shut up, Jake. In my opinion, it dehumanizes Indigenous people when you say something, even if it's meant to be flattering. Like they don't have a word for lie. You know, they don't even lie. That's the other side of the coin for there's no word for thank you in Dothraki. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's another form of just degrading. They cannot possibly comprehend the concept of XYZ. Or that like an indigenous character would not be capable of lying. Like the full spectrum of being, you know, alive. Yeah. Yeah. God. Ridiculous. (sighs) I I found it interesting. I looked into... uh, James Cameron's first round of interviews for this movie and then his current interview. It does seem like, I mean, I'm just like, I guess uh, I'm just interested in how Avatar 2 works out for him. But in the first one, I was curious of like how explicitly he was, how explicit he was in saying like where his influences were coming from. Cause this was something he started working on in the nineties, like during the production of Titanic, he was, yeah. it is very nineties uh, environmentalist captain planet. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Where you're like, I see the intent, but uh, the follow through is meh. But he said yeah. like, ex- I was surprised at how open he was at like being influenced by, Movies like Dances with Wolves, movies like Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, in terms of a movie I like, he he references Princess Mononoke uh, several mm-hmm. times as another uh, inspiration. But he does ex- kind of explicitly say, like, yeah, these, you know, very white savior sympathetic uh, colonizer stories are like ones I was pulling from when I was making this. And it, and so there's that <laughs> so there's... that i just wanted to share and you can tell oh. and you can tell yeah, when you and watch avatar <laughs> and princess mononoke does it so much better like just does it so much better and it also features an indigenous main character because mm-hmm. ashitaka is a mishi mm-hmm. love it my indigenous king <laughs> but uh <laughs> uh okay so elephant in the room Mm -hmm. let's talk about the comparisons made between this movie and pocahontas sure yeah because that's usually how everybody uh dismisses the film it's pocahontas in space right oh and james cameron also says that he mapped early plots about nateri onto 
Well, he says the Pocahontas story, but I'm like, I, well, what do you even mean when you say that? Uh, it yeah. sounds like he's uh, he's referring specifically to the Disney version of it because the real like, version of that story. Grow up. You're 50 years old. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So, um, so to begin, I mean, obviously the reason I haven't stepped up to do a Pocahontas episode is because I'm not from her tribe mm-hmm. and there's uh, a lot of insight that I cannot provide that someone from her tribe would Mm -hmm. but you know obviously the way i look at it when people you know try to dismiss it as pocahontas in space i always say i'm like pocahontas is an actual person Mm -hmm. who suffered and terrible things happened to her so she deserves more respect than that and these stories are not the same Mm -hmm. you know like full stock it's like you know the same way that people make fun of Elizabeth Warren and call her Pocahontas. And it's like, you know, you can criticize both this film and Elizabeth Warren for numerous valid reasons, but you can do it without being racist and you can do it without using an abused child as a punchline. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, is that the story of Pocahontas, how it like actually, not even the story of Pocahontas, but the romanticized account of Pocahontas that people are very familiar with that was used in this movie and the Disney movie and everything mm-hmm. is much older. And it says there's this article and it's called the, uh, the Pocahontas perplex. And it says that it was, um, originally there was this old Scottish ballad. It was called like Lord Bateman and the Turkish King's daughter. And it was this really well-known ballad in Europe at the time Mm -hmm. where an English adventurer goes to a foreign land and meets like the Sultan's daughter or an African King's daughter or something. And she's beautiful. And when he's in a dungeon and he's about to die, she saves him. And then they fall in love. He goes back to his homeland and she goes after him and shows up on his wedding day and they love each other, even though she's, darker and people who read john smith's accounts of his stories in the new world were like oh my god it's that story john smith and pocahontas is like lord bateman and the turkish king's daughter it'd be like you know oh my god it's like jack and rose from titanic Mm -hmm. you know like it was that level so that's what started the whole thing so Mm -hmm. there are elements where you know like you can compare the two but it's not the pocahontas story specifically because that is a very different story right yeah when people were you know criticizing avatar for ripping off or seemed to be ripping off so much from disney's pocahontas and i I remember like fern gully being a thing too that everyone was like it's ripping off a fern gully and dances with wolves and yeah. yeah as i was watching the movie this time I was like remembering that criticism, but I was thinking, well, no one was talking about how this movie is just pulling from a lot of historical mm-hmm. <laughs> events, like like in history. Yeah, right. yeah, his, history. Like right, but that was never part of the mainstream conversation about this movie. And yes, as we've discussed, James Cameron did not handle certain things in this movie well, but people were so hung up on similarities to existing movies. But it's like a lot of what happens in Avatar, there's a very clear historical precedent of 
colonizers stealing land and committing genocide against indigenous people for capitalist gain and for power and that not being part of the conversation about this movie i feel like speaks to what you were saying earlier like at the very beginning of the episode ali as far as like people finding reasons to not like this movie and that it felt very steeped in like anti-indigenous racism Mm -hmm. and the colonizers are very clearly presented as the bad guys in this movie which is not true of disney's pocahontas other than it's like i think again it's like colonization the one guy and all the other guys are great and one of them's christian bale and you're just like well (laughs) what the fuck and the guys in that movie are terrible Mm -hmm. and they're never held accountable for all of singing about killing indians and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so it's like oh well this guy is worse than you because this is your john smith's friends right so if you were nice you know and oh it's a mess <laughs> and avatar doesn't do that right so. <laughs> right I, yeah I, I it didn't register for me certainly at the time but yeah I, I i think that the the original backlash i mean like whatever it's problematic on so many levels and i know that word is overused but first of all it's like well it doesn't bode well for James Cameron if he's being criticized for ripping off a famously historically abysmal children's movie. That's not great to begin with. Mm. But I also feel, yeah, it like speaks ill of the general audiences at the time and, and of film criticism, or at least, you know, prominent film critics at the time, uh, which we've talked about a million times, always skew white guys. Mm-hmm. And the the implication there is like, well, we've already had a movie that talks about colonialism. We don't need more. Where you're just like, no. Like, no. not to say that Avatar deals with it anywhere approaching perfectly. But for the conclusion to be like imperialism and colonialism and racism against indigenous populations is like, well, we have that movie. We don't need another one. It's like, well, you know, go fuck yourself. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I noticed that. Back then, and I'm sure it hasn't gone away, but back then when I was like spite liking it, you know, <laughs> the white reviewers like on YouTube and on different um, platforms were criticizing the film. And the biggest thing that kept going, if they didn't just outright dismiss it as Dancers with Wolves in Space or Pocahontas in Space, they would say things like white guilt and you know like oh well what am i supposed to do you know and it's like Mm. hollywood's making these movies where i'm supposed to feel bad for being a white guy and all of these white guys in this movie are the bad guys and i'm like if that's your takeaway from it Mm. and not the anti-indigenous like racism in the film even if it is you know not nearly as bad as it has been in the past but it's still problematic Mm -hmm. like you have a bigger problem with not being the good guy this time Mm -hmm. when you know there's so many other problems with the film that you could be talking about that you know indigenous people have even talked about Mm -hmm. like i like the movie but lots of indigenous people don't for like Mm -hmm. many valid reasons and it's Mm -hmm. like none of those reasons that i've heard indigenous people complain about have ever been said by any of like those reviewers from the past at all because they just weren't even thinking about it. It's like their ego was just so fragile. Oh, white fragility <laughs> is it's, it's there. The hell of a drug. This movie was vaguely critical of me. And I hate it. it on fire. <laughs> and you're just like, still at the end of the day, it's like, I mean, 
this movie was made by a fabulously wealthy white guy. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the other thing, because um, I used to think back then. I used to think, okay, maybe the bad guys are a little too on the nose. Maybe they're too cartoony. Maybe they're, you know, not subtle enough until Standing Rock happened. Mm -hmm. And that really, I'm like rewatching this in a post Standing Rock era, post missing and murdered indigenous women era. I'm like, this is exactly how these people think, you Mm -hmm. know, like this is how they talk. So let's see, there's a couple quotes from the movie that really stood out to me um the first one's giovanni rubisi's character when he's talking to jake about relocating them and he says look killing the indigenous looks bad but there's one thing that shareholders hate more than bad press and that's a bad quarterly statement Mm -hmm. yes that is like yes (laughs) that's not a cartoon villain that's how it works that's embridge you know what i Mm -hmm. mean that is oka you know, the Oka crisis for mm. people who don't live in the United States. Mm-hmm. That is every mining facility in Samiland, you know, in Lapland. Mm-hmm. And that's how they think. That's that's how it is. Yeah, you know? yeah, and for then... sure. There's a quote from, I think it's in Jake's voiceover. Mm-hmm. So it shouldn't be him who says this. It should probably be Natiri who says this, mm-hmm. but the quote is something like, you know, make them the enemy and you can justify killing them, yes. which is what has happened all throughout history. When genocides have happened is like, again, rhetoric and mental gymnastics are, are used to justify killing entire populations of people. And you see that happening in the movie where like, the Omatakaya people are referred to, are, are like references being roaches and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. blue monkeys. Sl- and like, yeah, anti indigenous slurs are used several times. Their intelligence is insulted. Like, it's just all these things to dehumanize them and make them the enemy to justify killing, killing them. them. And I found the line, well, a line from the movie, it says, it's Grace telling him these are people in Giovanni Ribisi's character says, no, they're fly, fly bitten savages that live in a tree. All right. Look around. I don't know about you, but I see a lot of trees. They can move. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, this is genocide in action, Mm -hmm. you know, granted they're not human, but you strip them of their humanity and it becomes easier to kill them. Right. Mm -hmm. And then in colonial terms, like this is something I don't think a lot of people understand when you talk about colonialism and you know white imperialists coming to america for example and america is huge like the continent Mm -hmm. of north america is Mm -hmm. gigantic Mm -hmm. the united states is massive Mm -hmm. that is a lot of land that was stolen yeah you know so anyways it says you know like let's not even break it down let's break it down to like it's not even an entire continent let's say it's your house and someone comes to your house mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, well, why don't we just share your house? You know, like, we want to live here. We're here. Mm-hmm. I brought my whole family. Let's just live in your house. I mean, what do you tell them? Do you say, oh, yeah, here's a room <laughs> set up for you? Or do you tell them, get the fuck out of my you house? You say, who the fuck are you? Mm-hmm. Go yes. away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, we're not sharing our home with you. You have to fucking get out of my house. Mm-hmm. Even in the event where, okay, okay, we'll leave Home Tree and we'll go someplace else, they're not going to stop at Home Tree. Mm. 
They're going to obliterate you the know, whole No, absolutely. Because yeah. they immediately switch and, and threaten to kill, like, or threaten to the bulldoze souls. the next. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's the other thing. I mean, like, again, Turtle Island is massive. The United States is massive. That is a lot of trees that a lot of natives move to. And look what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And it's. Uh, it's so heavy. Yeah. It was almost good, except it's fucking Jake. Except right. It's, Jake uh, take Sully. Jake out of the story. It could be a... Uh, <laughs> it could I, be good. I think that there was also a time where I felt like that storytelling was too unsubtle, which is like also kind of ridiculous when you show up at a James Cameron movie. You're like, well, well I don't know what I expected. <laughs> but But I think that, yeah, like that... Those elements have like aged very, very well and in the movie's favor. And it's also like the politics. I mean, I would not on every front, but in terms of anti military industrial complex. And I had to go back and like look up like there were specific terms and events connected to the Iraq war that James Cameron was referencing through this mm. that I, I just did not remember. Um, Is unobtainium oil no not to blow your fucking mind but uh but i i thought that like i mean the politics of this movie and and what it is against is pretty clear and like the i think the the metaphor and the characters that they use to make those politics clear is very very muddled and a bajillion mistakes are made some of which we've discussed some of which we still have to discuss but (laughs) I mean, it's like the politics of this movie. It's it's a you know massively successful anti-war, anti-imperialist movie, anti-capitalist, yeah, anti-capitalist, like, anti-corporation. Yeah, and ironically, the movie made three billion dollars, three billion dollars, <laughs> and that's why people remember it. It's because it was so good at capitalism, <laughs> not because it was like the best movie ever. Um, right. You know, sad thing is, it could have been. It just needed like it could have been I don't know. so much better. Could have been because <sighs> even James Cameron, like in the YouTube video, I was talking about like his most iconic films or whatever. Mm. He said he was all like, after I did Avatar, I was hoping to like do some more environmentalist activism in like Brazil and all these other places. He's like, but I decided to make. The Avatar sequels <laughs> instead, and I'm like, well, or instead of ocean conservation, mm. and I'm like, dude, you could have been doing actual good stuff. Yeah. But he did say he's like, you know, film is powerful, and you can reach a lot of people. For sure, I completely agree. But also, film productions, especially huge budget ones like this, and the environmental Not impact they have. Way. Well, I would be curious to know if. James Cameron has made any strides in that direction. I'm always like interested in that kind of side of filmmaking because there's there are like far less harmful ways to do it. And I wonder if like, you know, given the politics of his movies and seems like his personal politics, whether that's something that has been addressed even remotely. I hope so. But it's like Mm -hmm. you just never fucking know with a production like that. Right. (sighs) The biggest concern I have with uh, the sequel is that how many of the characters in the film in the sequel are actors of color and how of them how many are indigenous mm-hmm. and that's like my biggest concern it's like if it's more white people and blue face pretending to be indians mm-hmm. i'm like have we learned anything it's been 
14 years or something like it's been 84 years it's been 84 years it's felt like 84 <laughs> years since 2009 to be honest truly um, um can we talk about the ableism a bit more mm. um we touched on a lot of the things already but i just want to make sure it has its like moment we give it some more time so jake sully uses a wheelchair he seems to be paralyzed from the waist down from an injury he sustained in battle as a marine as we mentioned, that character is not played by a disabled actor, which is a problem we come upon time and time again mm-hmm. in movies. Um, Sam Worthington is able-bodied. I read a lot of responses from disabled people about the representation we get on screen in this movie. Mm-hmm. And like we mentioned already, it seems to be pretty mixed across the board where some people saw themselves in Jake Sully. They they felt represented by his character and, you know, him being a disabled character. Mm. Others criticized him as one of many movie characters who is trying to quote unquote fix his disability. Right. Where he's like it being incentivized by the colonel of like I will like it's implied like I will make you whole again. Right. And that's something that is said to be a appealing to Jake Sully at first. That and there are interpretations and I can see how you might interpret it this way where one of the main reasons he chooses to stay in his avatar body is that his avatar body is able-bodied. And of course this, you know, perpetuates this idea that disabled people are, you know, quote unquote, incomplete, or that they have something wrong with them. Mm. Disabled characters in movies trying to, again, quote unquote, fix their disability is, is something that you see a lot, I think, especially in movie villains. Um, Yes. Friend of the show, Kristen Lopez wrote about this in The Hollywood Reporter when Toy Story 4 came out. So it talks a lot Mm -hmm. about Toy Story 4, but it references a lot of other um, movie characters where this is the case so there's you know that criticism but then other people were like well but no that's not why he chooses to stay in his avatar body there are other reasons so there's it just like it seems like it's like an original like it, the, that first sequence where when he's in the avatar body does seem like th- that is a big but it doesn't seem like that remains the incentive i don't know or or like not that it's even an incentive. Right, because then he falls in love with a woman and then he falls in love with the culture and right. he becomes an indigenous person. You know how when you can be a white person and then you become an indigenous person? You know when that always happens? Yeah. So the point is, there's a lot of nuances to this discussion. And I'd be, I'm, as always, we're just curious to hear from our listeners who can speak Absolutely. From, a, from a place of experience. Yeah, I mean, because it's... I. I also read kind of a wide diversity of opinion there where um you know we have we have a protagonist who he sucks but uh he is uh, <laughs> our our main our protagonist is is a uh, is a disabled person and you don't see that in movies really ever very infrequently yeah but on top of that you have many of the common tropey issues with disabled characters beginning with the fact that Sam Worthington is not Mm -hmm. a disabled actor and it kind of goes on from there I would be really curious to hear listener perspective Mm -hmm. on on that because I think the movie like the movie doesn't really touch on it that much after the first act and which I think is for the you know could could be seen as for the best where James Cameron doesn't appear to have very much insight into that topic but again 
like who's telling the story, who mm-hmm. is advising, and um, how does that bear out? And who's the character for? Exactly, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jake, not like the other colonizers, Sully. <laughs> it seems like that choice was made in the story because when you're writing a screenplay, I don't know if you know this, but I do have mm-hmm. a master's degree in screenwriting from Boston University. <laughs> I would never bring it up on my own, but. Mm-hmm. You make choices about your characters, especially your protagonists, to motivate and justify other things that will happen in the movie. So it feels to me like we need to get him from the start of the movie where he's a human white guy to the end of the movie. He's going to be a member of the Omatakaya people. Mm -hmm. What qualities or what things can we attribute to this character to justify that making sense by the end of the movie for him to want to permanently be an Omatakaya person. Mm. And I feel like the only reason that he is a disabled character in the movie is to be like, well, that, well, that'll be one of the things that Mm -hmm. justifies him making this choice. Yeah. I was about to say that because um, one of the things now speaking also as a Mm able-bodied person was that watching the film for the first time, I think another reason why I liked Stephen Lang's character, even though he's the bad guy, was, you know, he tells him, I look out for my own. If you do this, I promise you, you'll get your legs back, mm-hmm. you know? And and he says, quote unquote, your real legs. Right. And, and it's, like, it's like, you know, for me, you know, who's not disabled or doesn't have a disability, I'm like, fuck yeah. You know, these things are aliens, and your planet's dying so get your legs and do it and save the planet and go home Mm -hmm. hell yes you know and i feel like a lot of people probably felt the same way until you meet the navi and you realize that this is bullshit and he's colonizer Mm -hmm. and stuff so at first on paper it makes sense however if that was the case if it was do this for me get your legs back Mm -hmm. the downside should have been if you don't do this you remain disabled but there's no like lose lose he's like okay so i still have my body at the end you know so well that's 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 implying that like your punishment is that you stay disabled as if being disabled is a punishment is a punishment so there's all these like yucky implications and also it's like we received no indication that like jake sully is unhappy as like as a disabled man like that's not something that we ever hear him speak on in any like it's just people are making that assumption about him which is a very common ableist thing to do but it's like the story doesn't challenge it really like they're like well of course this is true right Uh, at the beginning of the movie he does make a comment where he's like uh they can fix it if you have the money because mm-hmm. American healthcare in the future is still dog shit. So he is it. disabled because he's broke. But still, it's like that should have been a bigger driving point if that was going to be the thing that motivates him to do the thing. Right. I mean, yeah, it's like, okay, I guess there's commentary on like the horrible state of Ameri- of like American healthcare slash like veteran benefits. Sure. Which yes. is like yes. still abysmal. But yeah, the the way that was handled and then again, and I'm speculating here, but I think the choice was made to make him disabled to like narratively justify like him wanting to remain in this avatar body by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's just like not the right representation people. And I, you know, I'm I'm also speaking as an able-bodied person here, but it's my understanding that people with disabilities want to see themselves 
represented on screen i mean obviously far more than they already are and Mm -hmm. in a way that just normalizes their experience rather than being some like justification for something else some other narrative choice that's gonna happen yeah and that's not what's happening in this movie no it's being like weaponized as a plot point like it's just and like a lazy plot point at that yeah which is just like a mess I guess I can't say that the movie is necessarily above that behavior. (laughs) Obviously, we've been talking for two hours, but like, but I, yeah, it it is. I I would be curious to know because I I also like, I mean, don't want to ignore disabled writers who who did enjoy how Jake Sully was characterized. Of course. Of course. Uh, I have one last just quick thing that I want to touch on really quickly. Harkening back to the romance between... Jake and Natiri. Um yeah, I want to talk about Natiri in general cuz we've been Neytiri like praising her like and you know in different places but yeah. Yeah, and so the thing I liked about the romance and it's really just that like he's like I have chosen a woman but she needs to choose me and she's like yeah, I did already. You goof. Um so I liked that like <laughs> she's given and like that just shows how bar, how low the bar is for the, a female character being given agency in her own romantic life is something that I'm like, oh my goodness, that happened? I feel um, like we've really been <laughs> handing it to James Cameron for doing that in a way that's like, yeah, that should just be kind that of should just be. standard. But, you know, in Titanic, it's a period piece. You're like, oh, wow. Women I know. didn't have oh. choices back then. How subversive. <laughs> but um, then it's like, why are the Navi monogamous? Okay, I Amazing yes. question. I had the same thought because she's like, and now we had sex one time, and now we're mated for life. And mm-hmm. and again, I I don't I'm not an expert on this, but it's my understanding that like hetero monogamy is a very European oh, Christian thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not knocking monogamy or anything, but things like heteronormativity and the quote-unquote gender binary and long-term monogamous pair bonding these are all constructs that again from my understanding a lot of communities around the world including many indigenous ones don't participate in because it's never been a part of their culture or cultural evolution i am literally reading this book called uh, reclaiming two spirits and I'm like just a couple of chapters in, but they're already talking about like how all over the United States in general, like there are so much, there's so much evidence of LGBTQ relationships and polygamous relationships, not even just like one man with multiple wives, which does happen, but like a man with multiple husbands Mm. and so to see it like done like this in a movie that is about connection and about like you know this network of people and stuff like that why would she just be limited to one person that she would be in love with yeah Mm. why would this like why would they mate for life (laughs) right when that's such a construct of like like such a euro christian centric construct it's because he's a white guy because <laughs> yeah. james cameron is a white guy right it's like it does feel like a james cameron thing where he's like he is i don't even know like i was like who even knows how conscious like how hard he even thought about this because it's just like that's what happens when you have like he's giving like he's giving the navi elements of the oppressor in a way that is like what what mm-hmm. who yeah and for what 
And for and what? For and then gives us the little peanut of like, well, but Neytiri got to choose her partner uh, <laughs> that you have to marry after having sex with one time. And we're like, yes, girl power. It's amazing. Yeah. So I take it all back. I am not rooting for their relationship. Uh, <laughs> <wrong>. um, <laughs> she just should have snagged the white guy. And then that should have been Jake. Like, wait, what? You know, like, <laughs> oh, I just fucked a cat with my braid tentacle thing. <laughs> the one moment with Jake and Natiri that I did like was when she finds him in human form and she's holding him. And then the, they say, I see scene. you. And you're I like, oh, everywhere. She, he sucks in all forms, but she accepts him in all forms. Wow. It's so nice. <laughs> it's and nice. That, it is a good scene. It, it was good. It's really yeah. pretty. God damn it. But no, Neytiri in general, I love her. I mm-hmm. think that they could have done more to characterize her. We don't know very much. She gets reduced to the relationship at certain moments. Not all the time, because like yeah. you were saying earlier, Allie, like she is like, I think realistically and like tactically and emotionally most connected to her family and to Pandora. And when Jake fucks with her family and fucks with Pandora... He's cut out of her life. That totally makes sense. But mm-hmm. there are sequences of the movie where they're on good turn. Like when things are going well, all we know about Natiri is in relation to Jake. When things That's aren't true. going well, she gets these character moments, but they're also in reaction to Jake mo- more often than not. Because there's not, is up. there a scene in this movie where two Navi characters talk to each other and Jake or Grace Isn't are not there? there? Like, yeah. <gasps> Ooh. No. Navi Bechtel test. Navi Bechtel test. (laughs) Oh, it's when Neytiri and her dad are talking to each other when he's dying. Oh. He tells her to protect the people. But then Jake shows up. But then Jake shows up. But then he still (laughs) bulldozes into the scene. Jake killed him. He's like, hey, (sighs) let me touch your shoulder to comfort you. And she's like, get the fuck away from me, you asshole. Jake Um, loves to insert himself. You're like, dude. (laughs) Uh. I do appreciate that... um, Neytiri is never framed as a damsel. She saves Jake several times. She saves herself several times. She's a competent warrior. Kills the bad guy. She kills the colonel. Woo-hoo-hoo. That Love is it. good. But, uh, yeah, she should have been uh... the hero and she should have been Tarok Makto. Yes. Instead of Jake. Mm-hmm. She should have been that. If anything was going to like be the big motivator to unite the clans, it should have been like, we lost home tree. This is what's at stake. I'm getting that fucking dragon. And then, I think that would have been more uh, like that would have put her people in a better, like more comfortable place too. of like, yeah, that why would it, why would it be Jake? This movie should have been more like the movie Prey yes! where it's told from yes. her point of view where she is like the ultimate warrior, where she fights the aliens who came from the sky mm-hmm. and fucking kills their ass. I guess it's just one of them in Prey. But, but still. But still. But still. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, uh, yeah, that would have been great. That would have been better. I know. Fuck Jake. If Jake was going to do anything, he should have like sabotaged the base from the inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, while Neytiri was getting shit done because that would have subverted everything I think mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. if that would have been like okay our hero fucked up and he ain't shit so now he's in jail and if he wants to contribute he can do something with his own people inside of 
jail <laughs> instead yeah. of the base. And then he should have gone back to Earth. And it's like, sorry for you that it the Earth is basically like Mad Max Fury Road. But whose fault was that? Right and it's not our but problem. That, but yeah. whose fault was that? Yeah. <laughs> That's because humans fucked it up. Ugh. Um, Is there anything anyone else wants to talk about? I feel like we've only scratched the surface, but I, I just wanted to uh, breeze through really quickly a few other um, women in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about Grace. I, I, you know, like she's it's a Sigourney Weaver character. So at the end of the day, I'm like, nice. But I do think like it's worth kind of repeating that her character, you know, it's like on the surface level, it's good that, you know, our highest, most respected scientist is a woman who seems to have a lot of control, influence, respect. Woman in STEM. On the other hand, she is ethically compromised and no one ever and, wants to bring that up. And complicit in genocide. genocide. I do like her relationship with Jake, though, because you rarely see that mentor uh, student relationships between men and women where the woman is the teacher mm-hmm. and the man is like her subordinate mm-hmm. and there's like a genuine respect and camaraderie that's true. i wish he would have had that with natiri also yeah. yes instead of whatever the fuck because <laughs> snag the white guy and then go get married fuck it or <laughs> don't get married just fucking fuck monogamy <laughs> and marriage <laughs> just have just fuck it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, that's a that's a good point. And also that like I feel like when there is a woman in the mentor role, the like male mentee constantly brings it up of like I can't believe I'm learning from a, I feel like I'm learning from my mom. Like but <laughs> it's just like a an inherently respectful. And like th- I feel like this is these are elements of the James Cameron playbook that he's generally really good with. Mm-hmm. Same goes for it's like the, it's a pretty diverse uh team the science team and you also have again she's like whatever the michelle rodriguez character is so underwritten and so underdeveloped that it's like (laughs) we're just gonna have her say fast and the furious lines in this movie um (laughs) but a very highly motivated character who has a whole arc about realizing that the military industrial complex is bad actually (laughs) but but she is like she is you know without that character uh, a lot of, you know, Jake's return to Pandora would not have been possible. The so whole, I, the whole third act wouldn't have happened. So. Yeah. Trudy, like, is a very important character for someone with very little screen time. I wish that they didn't uh, blow her up. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Trudy is what Giovanni Ribisi's character isn't because Giovanni Ribisi knows that something's wrong and he continues to do it. And Trudy knows that it's wrong. And she's like, fuck this, I didn't sign up for this, mm-hmm. which we kind of did, but... You I mean... did. You technically did, but maybe you didn't know exactly what you were signing up for because we can yeah. script people very, very young and it's fucked up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I did I did generally like that character. Um, again, very broad James Cameron-y writing, but very easily could have been cast as uh, a man and uh, was not, mm-hmm. which I think is again i feel like we're handing it to james cameron for nothing but most <laughs> male auteur directors don't do that he did make titanic though so we gotta really hand titanic. it to him for a lot of stuff um shout out norm kind of just for no reason but i'm just like norm. sure he was in bones he's a sweetie oh. he's a sweetie <laughs> also complicit in genocide uh <laughs> so there you go yeah, Norm originally in the deleted scenes was supposed to be the Jake Sully character as far as like, oh, well, we've got a scientist who's not threatening and maybe he's going to be the one to connect with the Navi and then Jake just steals his job and that's why he's pissed off. Whoa. <laughs> 
God. And there's another deleted scene where Sute, it's after Jake hunts mm. and mm-hmm. is a successful hunter or whatever. And then they party and they're eating and drinking and stuff like that. And Sute is drinking and he and Jake get into like a drinking competition. He sits there, he's kind of drunk. He's like, I never thought a sky person would be brave. He's like, you guys fight far away and like those machines and stuff like that. You fight at a distance. I never thought one of them could be brave. And they had like a bonding moment Mm -hmm. and makes that fucking scene where he's like, you mated with her like that much worse. Cause it's like, dude, I thought we were bros and then you just fucking, and then they actually have a proper fight scene Mm -hmm. in the deleted scenes. And that one should have been good. And that should have been in the re-release and it's not. And I'm salty about it. Cause he would have won. He would have won. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> they keep disrespecting my man. That entire fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, oh yeah. Well, have we reached the end? I think we have. Think we have. What a journey. <laughs> and yet, I feel like there's still so much. <laughs> I know. Oh boy. What a journey. Does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Does it? Oh my gosh, I forgot to pay attention. Um, I. Can't really. There was a few that I flagged that I was like, maybe like there was a few close passes because like Grace does speak to Natiri's mother, like, but it's always I I don't think that it does. And now I have scholarly journal Bechteltest dot com up, and the closest <laughs> yeah. I can get to someone effectively making an argument because they're always talking about Jake. Jake. <laughs> And the oh, the best argument I've been able to find was like, well, Grace talks to Awa at the end. <laughs> when, and I was like, no, okay. that conversation doesn't even happen on screen. Um, yeah. And she's literally telling Jake about it. So Jake ruins this whole movie. He also prevents it from passing the Bechdel test. Congratulations, Jake Sully, you <sighs> asshole. Damn it. Gross. And a Terry doesn't pass the Alinati test. So. God damn it. <laughs> damn it. Shit. God damn it. Son of a bitch. <sighs> Son of a bitch, Jake. Um, <laughs> well, what about our nipple scale, though? A uh, uh, scale of mm, zero to five nipples, where we rate the movie geez. based on looking at it through an intersectional film feminist lens um i would say ooh, uh uh-oh okay here we go james cameron he had good intentions i think with this movie (laughs) he tried (laughs) he tried he wanted to tell a story about anti-capitalism anti-colonialism anti-military industrial complex and those messages are clear however when you dig a little deeper and you look at a lot of the implications of what's happening on screen, you realize that it's a white savior story about a white guy who fails upward into somehow being a part of this community, which if this was a movie made by indigenous people, I don't think that would have ever happened. Like that would have never been written that way. That would have is not how that story would have panned out. It would have just been told from, you know, Nateri's point of view, Jake would have been eliminated from the story in general. Mm-hmm. It would just be uh, a, a story told from the uh, Omatakaya people's perspective. And that would be the movie. So intentions good though they might have been. Uh, a lot of marks were missed as far as indigenous representation, as far as uh, disability representation. 
And to some extent, I think the representation of women as well, because you could kind of easily make the argument that Natiri is presented as a plot trophy for Jake Sully doing the right thing. A, a, a prize to be won. She has more agency than that, though. She does. She does. Still, yeah. But, but again, if this movie... <laughs> Uh, in our rewrite that we're going to do, um, Natiri would our, be... I, it, which, first of all, it'll be on ice. <laughs> on ice? <laughs> Frozen 2 yes. Avatar. Um, the way of ice. The way of ice. We'll, we'll find a way to work minions into the story, and Shrek will make minions an appearance. Will be there, yeah. Obviously. Minions would have worked for the colonel. Oh, minions no, would have worked for the colonel, for sure. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're going to do a rewrite. But no, the the story should be Natiri's story. Like, she should be the protagonist jake sully didn't even need to be there so with all of that in mind i'll give the movie two two and a half is kind of where i'm at okay nipples um i'll i'll land on two and a half because at the end of the day i still had a damn good time watching this movie the movie felt like a movie (laughs) the movie feels like a movie so i'll give one to Neytiri, I'll give one to Moat, her mother, and I'll give my half nipple to Pandora. Awa. Mother Awa. Um, I guess I'll meet you there. I kind of want to dog it to two. I don't really know why. I don't have a good reason. Mm. <laughs> go with your gut. But I'm going with Awa on this one. If that's what your braid tentacles are telling you, go with it. <laughs> I guess I, I just saw this really funny tweet while you're... Um, it's... Uh, James Cameron standing at the Avatar 2 premiere. It was just him standing in front of the words Tar. And it's like, even James Cameron had to see what all the fuss is about and went to see Tar. <laughs> okay. That's very good. Moving right along. I, I, I'm going to, I think that, again, yes, I think that like James Cameron expresses certain themes uh, very effectively here in a way that you never see even really attempted in blockbuster movies he's always been good with this he's made you know entire movies that are explicitly critical of the LAPD um he is generally good i think he could have been better in this movie honestly about putting women in prominent and um motivated and, and interesting action roles um, I don't think this is the movie where he does it best, but he does it to some mm-hmm. extent. Mm-hmm. You know, he's doing the things that he does well, well. And then when he's out of his depth, it's very obvious. Oh, yeah. 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 But but I think that, like, it's, I don't know. My experience of this movie has been so kind of colored by the changing ways that we've talked about it in the 13 years it, it's existed. It feels like it's been mm-hmm. around for fucking ever. And I think that, you know, there's a lot to love about this movie that we've been encouraged not to love because of how just media in general seems to view indigenous stories and, and centering indigenous characters in any way, shape or form. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that this movie does it particularly well. Right. So I don't know. I guess I'll go two and a half because that was mostly complimentary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that said, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. And or the Alienati test. Or, you know, and only one character passes the Alienati test. Um, right. But not the not the main woman that you'd expect. Not Natiri. And um, you don't get really any you know, it's too much Jake Sully. You don't get any interior look into what the what the Ometakaya are thinking when Jake Sully isn't there, which is, I think, a huge missed opportunity. And that's like supposedly if James Cameron wants to make a movie that effectively addresses, you know, indigenous 
issues and concerns and culture, um, then why is Jake Sully always there? Is my question. <laughs> uh, two and a half nipples. I'm giving one to Natiri. I'm giving one to Natiri's mommy. Why do I have the Wikipedia page for Tar up? Oh, it's because of the. Tw- okay. <laughs> um, I'm giving one to. I'm not giving one to Tar. Uh, I'm giving one to Natiri, one to Moat, and I will give the last half to Ewa. Perfect. Beautiful. Okay, so if you were to ask me uh, back when it first came out, I probably would have gave it four, mm. four nipples, mm-hmm. all four of them. <laughs> but uh, now, you know, after enough time, and especially after talking and communicating with other Indigenous people, especially Indigenous creatives, and now that I've seen better, I know that we could do better. Mm-hmm. And there's absolutely no reason why indigenous people shouldn't be allowed to tell stories of this scale yes you know so i feel like i'm gonna give it three mm-hmm. i'll just commit and give it three hell I yeah support you. because i did and i did enjoy it the stuff that i enjoyed i still very much enjoy i think it's beautiful and i think like the mm-hmm. special effects and everything and the fact that the water wasn't real like blew my mind the fact that it remotely holds up is so wild (laughs) i know it looks it looks so good and uh but the aliens now as someone who smashes aliens in mass effect uh for three games i wish that the aliens were to that caliber of hot Mm. or at least because the characters in mass effect have uh a lot more to offer as far as like their own stories, their own histories, their own opinions on things and all that stuff. It's a Bioware game. So you're allowed to go deep. You couldn't go deep in this one. And Mm -hmm. there were too many human characters, not enough Navi characters. Jake should have had a couple Navi friends outside of Neytiri and outside Mm -hmm. of his bromance with Sute Mm -hmm. just to like kind of, build on why he switches sides so fast and feels this connection to these people instead of just like, well, I'm here. I'm here and blessed by God. So love me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh God. But, um, but yeah, so I'll still give it the three star, three stars, three nipples, three pasties. (laughs) Um, one's going to go to Neytiri. One is going to go to Moat for passing the Alienati test. Mm-hmm. And then the last one's going to go to Sute because he should at least have one regular size nipples because his are so small <laughs> on top of everything else wrong with Help the guy out. <laughs> I have to give my man some dignity because mm-hmm. he got almost none in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He did have a great death scene, but that's not saying much. <sighs> yeah. Well, Allie, thank you as always for being here. It's been an absolute delight. A three-timer. We love to see it. There is one last thing I want to shout out while I'm here, though, because this is very important. So um, this is taking place in Winnipeg right now in Canada. And since uh, we're talking about indigenous people, let's actually talk about the real ones that exist today. Mm -hmm. But there is a situation happening right now where the daughters of Morgan Harris, who is an indigenous woman in Canada, who was murdered by a serial killer, along with four other indigenous women, they believe that their bodies are in the uh, 
the prairie green landfill the rcmp so the canadian police told them that they believe that that's where the serial killer dumped their bodies and they're refusing to investigate because they said that it isn't feasible so they're essentially telling these girls that they have to make peace with their mother staying in a dumpster Mm. and not getting a burial and these girls are fighting to push back and search the landfill so i really wanted to just raise awareness to that Mm -hmm. and get the word out there because i heard about it two days ago and it's just not making as much waves as it should be so do you know if there's any kind of GoFundMe or anything yeah. to support? Uh, I will definitely look it up and send it your way if I cool, do. Yeah. But we'll we'll post it in the yeah. show notes if if we'll there's at least anything. link to a story for context as well. That's yes. fucking yeah. unconscionable. I was seeing what you were posting about it, and yeah, also did not hear about it before you said something. Yep. So if we could do anything good, I mean, like Avatar is great, and but people are going to go see Avatar too, and not enough people are talking about this. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely yes spread the word (laughs) thank you for that absolutely is there anything you'd like to plug as far as your own work well i am kind of limiting my twitter access but i'm ali naughty on twitter i'm ali naughty on instagram and tiktok i'm back on tumblr Mm. because i don't like twitter (laughs) so especially now oh especially now but i've been more active on the Alinati Tumblr account, which is still the Ayla test, because awesome. that's how a lot of people know it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I keep it there. And my sisters and I opened up a boutique Ooh, called oh Deborah's God. Darlings in honor of our mother. That's so, so cool. <laughs> check it out, buy some stuff. Oh, very cool. Hell yeah. Wait, that's huge yep. for me. Okay. I can't wait. Yeah, I'll send that to you too. Oh my God. Please. Uh, and come back anytime. Please. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, and uh, you can uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bechtelcast. And um, speaking of Twitter, there was a pretty good tweet that we found. Oh, okay. This is, it feels like an end of a Daily Zeitgeist episode. Like, tweets you like. Uh, okay. <laughs> right. But this was one, one that really just, it's from the uh, LA Times review of Avatar Way of Water which is a quite good review. It's getting quite good early reviews, folks. Mm. Um, we haven't seen it yet, but the critics are soft raving about the way of water. Oh but gosh. this is from Justin Chang, uh, the film critic over at the LA Times. Um, he references how Avatar 2 is about Jake Sully being a loving father in the second movie. Mm-hmm. And then he says, and I quote, you could say he's a Felice Navi dad. Ooh, <laughs> it's so good. Ooh, Twitter's Ooh. still horrible, but mm. there are there are moments. There are moments, and that was my moment. Love it. That really meant a lot to us. Um, <laughs> you can also follow us on Instagram, where I did not receive that information, but it is you know it's another platform where we're at. Mm. We are also going on tour. Reminder: West Coast. Yes. You can find that in the link in our bios and the link in this description as well. We're going to be in L.A., San Francisco, Portland, and Seattle uh, at the end of January into the beginning of February. Mm -hmm. More info about that at the link 
And you can join our Patreon, a.k.a. Matreon. What the hell is that, Caitlin? Oh, my gosh. It's a place where you can get two bonus episodes of the Bechtelcast, usually just Jamie and I goofing, goofing, goofing. But we're also having awesome discourse. And and you get access to the back catalog of well over 100 bonus episodes. So if you've run out of main feed episodes, scoot on over to patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. And it's December, so we're doing our Cursed Holiday Movie Roundup. Mm. We uh, have already released our Netflix original, Lindsay Lohan, Falling for Christmas, a movie where a little girl's Christmas witch is for Lindsay Lohan to fall off of a mountain. (laughs) Correct. And we'll also be doing While You Were Sleeping. And I also, I was getting excited today because January is the Pinocchio Wars episode. And so we just we have a hell of a time over there. Join the community. Join, join the the movement that is the Matreon. Yes. Um, and finally, it's the holidays. So if you're looking for gifts, uh, last minute gifts, you can go to our store over at tpublic.com/slash/vbechtelcast. Mm-hmm. We actually have some new designs. New designs that just came out. Pretty fun. Feminist icon Paddington Shrekian, which came up in this episode. Yeah. It's canon to the show. It is. And um, also just one that I kind of wanted to make for myself that we have referenced on the show, <laughs> which is the Flubber Mambo uh, by, by Danny, Danny Elfman. Elfman. Yeah. So uh, that plus classic designs, including our holiday baby Grinch designs. So of course. head over there, get some gifts uh, and, and live your damn life. Exactly. And um, hey, Jamie, Allie. Yeah. I see you. I see you too. Bye. Bye. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at First first listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.